Good to know, Ben. Yeah, how is how are you? How is your German America? Yeah. Okay, wait, what's going on with Trump going to freaking jail? Judge seizes Trump's secret documents this afternoon, three hours ago. So, folks, I can't stress this enough. Well, so welcome back to the Trista Bocaminator Show. Apparently, I got zero votes. For old John <laughs> and his family, but his two eldest sons in particular, because as a team, as one of the worst teams ever, they just took a series of massive defeats, both in the business world and the political world and in court, where in particular, Eric and Don Jr. got hammered directly and took an absolutely massive defeat. And this starts with the political realm. It starts with the fact that these are the two sons that are sticking with daddy. They're the ones that still, for whatever reason, want to be part of 2024. But it turns out for all of them, they're losing support in record numbers. And then we're going to get to the fact that Don Jr. in particular, along with his brother and his dad, took maybe their single biggest legal defeat yet as a family. And my goodness, they are crying about it. Let's start with the politics, though. Listen to this just as a start. And then there's House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who dodged and ignored questions yesterday about Trump's new presidential campaign. Fucking coward. Uh, which, which uh, Sam Stein, it certainly means uh, that he wasn't too worried <laughs> about the threat coming from Mar-a-Lago, one of Donald Trump's remaining uh, uh, supporters down there, said that Kevin McCarthy, if he wanted to win the speakership, was going to have to strongly support Suck Donald Trump and, and say Trump. it out loud. He's just completely avoiding it, and he wants <laughs> to become the next speaker. Why not? So that's a guy, when he's walking, avoiding answering that question, <laughs> just simply reflecting the will of most Fucking of his members. Coward. So you can see that the Trump family is being abandoned. But again, Junior and Eric are going to be daddies like point men. They are basically the inside guys. What Jared and Ivanka used to be, that's who they are now. My goodness, I don't, I don't want to be in their position. I wouldn't want them to be my advisors. But that's where they are. And Trump can't even get a committal from Kevin McCarthy. That's devastating for Trump. <laughs> McCarthy needs every single piece of Trump credibility right now as he struggles to build a coalition. He's got basically no votes to play with, right? The, the majority they have is razor thin, so he's got, like, nothing to play with. And a lot of the people that are mad at him are, are sort of Trumpy, right? And so for him not to endorse Trump, even though Trump has effectively given him the green light, is a huge smack to the face to the entire Trump family, but also a sign that he's losing real steam. And here is what's a big one for the family business and for the family finances of the, of the campaign. They can't even get 
the billionaires on their side anymore. And Jim, these mega donors, obviously some of the people that helped fuel Donald Trump's campaign were, were with him. Uh, and listen, they follow power. They, they follow yeah. the person they think is going to be uh, in, in power. And a lot of them have really uh, stuck, uh, stuck their neck out uh, saying, you know, if, if they thought that Donald Trump was going to get there, I guess a better way to say it is, a lot of them aren't going to stick their neck out unless they're pretty sure they're betting on a sure thing. And right now, for most of them, Ron Santa seems to be that sure thing. And Donald Trump already in the rearview mirror. Yeah, mm. look, you need money to run for president. I'll state it pretty plainly. And a lot of these people are the people who have been funding these outside groups that helped some of these Republicans win, not just this year, but in years past. So that's certainly not a good sign. I think it's important to state here that none of these people, the members or these donors, woke up and found morality, right? They just <laughs> found that he was a loser and that they did not want to bet on this horse. Uh, I will say, though, what, what we stand at night, and, and I know... Donald Trump supporter after another Donald Trump supporter. Uh, his biggest problem is the guy that he's really going up against, uh, that he's got to get through if he's going to win the Republican nomination, it's Ron DeSantis. And it is nearly unanimous. The people I've spoken with in the past that have been diehard Trump supporters, all deeply offended that he was attacking Ron DeSantis on the same night that Ron DeSantis was rolling up historic numbers in the state of Florida, while Donald Trump's yeah, he should have uh, congratulated uh, selections were losing uh, the Senate and for, really embarrassing for, for, for Republicans. And, and uh, you know, they're saying, <laughs> sorry, it's kind of funny after you consider all the things Donald Trump has said in the past, but they're saying things like, Man, he didn't show any class. There's no class when you're attacking Ryan DeSantis. Uh, on, you know, so you, so you know where I'm going with that. But this, this apparently seems to be the final straw. And unlike the other times when Donald Trump's back was against the wall, there is an alternative now inside the Republican Party. The more he attacks Ryan DeSantis, the more he hurts his own standing in the Republican Party. So right now... Uh, he's sort of in a no-win situation. Yeah, Ron DeSantis has given Republicans somewhere else to go and fresh in their minds. It's his overwhelming 20-point defeat where he flipped a bunch of blue counties red, captured Latino voters in the state of Florida, and can go out and say, yeah, but he I fucking cheated. 30 electoral votes in Florida locked up. Let's start playing Nobody's from talking about it. Yeah, fucking but cheated. Like, Donald Trump is hemorrhaging billionaire support. And Eric and Don Jr. are going to feel this, too, for a few reasons. One, we know, we've seen it that the Trump family, when, when they've been powerful in politics, have relied on rich and powerful people spending money at Trump businesses to help run the business and float it while it's struggled. If you really want to lose a significant amount of weight and keep it off, then you're going to want to see this. OMG, guys, my mom is actually going to kill me, but I had to share her little secret with you. So basically what she's been doing is an ancient Himalayan ice hack literally bitch. every morning when she Shut wakes up. up. Struggled. They often made some money on the side using rich people, using the taxpayer, all of these things to make the business more profitable. And Eric and Don Jr. run the business day to day. And so for all of these big money people, whether it's foreign diplomats no longer interested in the Trump business because he's not in power, or it's billionaires not being as willing to splash the cash, Donald Trump's in real trouble there, and <clears throat> Eric and Don Jr. are going to feel that on the business. And if they're all trying to build a political oh. operation, that's going to hurt too. And again, here's like another reiteration of it. ...who dumped on him and shunned him for decades.
decades in New York. They've been saddled right up to him and shelled out big dollars. They're now turning their backs over the course of the last two days. Ron Lauder, Steve Schwartzman, Ken Griffin. That is a trifecta of a triple clump. It means a lot because that also means they're going somewhere else, right? And it's is that to Ron DeSantis or another leading contender that increases their viability. It is clear that all of the energy in the party right now is moving away from Donald Trump. But the paradox Republicans find themselves in, Stephanie, is Donald Trump himself cannot win a national election. But Republicans cannot win one without Donald Trump's voters. Because what it shows, guys, is the entire apparatus is falling away. And Donald Trump and his boys, I don't think they can build it. Again, like, you know, I know he was never really like an establishment guy, but Donald Trump had always had a core of billionaire supporters because he gave them the tax cuts, he gave them the deregulation, he gave them the judges, and they were ultimately there. But again, these people aren't based on morals or principles or anything. They're based on cold, hard cash and cold, hard value. And they invested, you know, in Donald Trump. You may call it bribery. You may call it political fundraising. You may call it whatever. But it's like an investment for rich people. They invested in Trump. And now the investment into him and his companies and his family, it's just not paying off. And they're cutting it loose. And here's where the legal troubles come in. Because it hits the family square in the pocketbook. They took two big losses, all of them together. And both the criminal case against the company today and the civil case. Starting with the civil one, the judge has made it clear that every attempt they have, you know, the family to wriggle out of his demands on them is failing. And legal experts are noting that no one's ever been tougher on the Trump family. It says, according to the decision filed Thursday today, the former president's company has two weeks to deliver Judge Barbara S. Jones a full and accurate description of the corporate structure. The party shall promptly meet with the monitor and she'll cooperate with the monitor to design processes and procedures that provide the monitor with access to all information necessary to effectuate the monitor's responsibilities therein, the judge wrote. They're also responsible for informing her in advance of any shifting assets within 30 days of movement, guaranteeing they can't form the corporation in another state and funnel money outside there. All of this is bad. And in notes here, a legal uh, reporter uh, from the Daily Beast says, Justice Arthur Engeron continues to prove himself one of the toughest judges on the Trumps. Others have let Donald Trump or his kids get by for decades. He will not budge an inch. And that's terrifying to Eric and Don Jr. and Daddy. And again, anything to deal with the company is a big hit to them, the, the boys, because they run it day to day. Ivanka, she, she's kind of done, like she's off. Donald Trump day to day doesn't actually run his own company anymore. He's busy ch you know, ranting and throwing ketchup at Mar-a-Lago. His sons actually do the day-to-day -day work. You know, whether they do it well or not, I don't know, but they, they do the day-to-day -day work. And so anything to do with the company structure and having all of their secrets exposed affects them most day to day. But here's the real bombshell, the real defeat in court, because Weisselberg, who's been testifying, just dropped a massive bomb on the sons and daddy, directly implicating them in the tax avoidance scheme in a way we have yet seen. And it says here, Weisselberg said Donald Trump, or at times Eric Trump, or Trump Jr. signed checks to pay up to $100,000 for private school tuition for Weisselberg's grandchildren. He said that they had been instructed by the company, instructed the company's controller to deduct the $100,000 from his salary, allowing him to report a smaller income. Copies of some of the checks signed by the Trumps have been shown in court. Weisselberg said the first time Trump signed a tuition check 
Weisselberg said to him, don't forget, I'm going to pay you back for this. The payback, he said, was the salary reduction. And all of this is a big tax avoidance scheme because Trump can effectively pay this tuition. That's off the books. His person gets a tax deduction because they, they take 100000 less in salary. And so whether they're getting bonuses off the books or whether they're exchanging salary for bonuses and then not claiming the taxable amount, whichever way you slice it, they're either avoiding taxes once or twice and with the signatures from the boys or daddy, it means they are involved. You know, it means they couldn't just say this was done without our knowledge. They were signing the checks for these illegal tax evading type payments and deductions and all of that. Eric and Don Jr. up until now haven't been nailed this directly. Now they have. A devastating afternoon for the entire family. Uh -huh. My what a burn, what a I think my favorite part, obviously, is Stick I your love finger up your butt. when they get their Fucking kids and they, you know, butthead. they find something they look <clears throat> What a burn, what a cut. Stick your finger up your butt. Mega donors break with Trump. Ha ha. So, folks, I can't stress this enough, but it was an absolutely abysmal afternoon for old Donnie and his family, but his two eldest sons in particular, because as a team, as one of the worst teams ever, they just took a series of massive defeats, both in the business world and the political world and in court, where in particular, Eric and Don Jr. got hammered directly and took an absolutely massive... Hey guys, check this out. Kevin McCarthy totally snubbed Trump. And this starts with the political realm. It starts with the fact that these are the two sons that are sticking with daddy. They're the ones that still, for whatever reason, want to be part of 2024. But it turns out for all of them, they're losing support in record numbers. And then we're going to get to the fact that Don Jr. in particular, along with his brother and his dad, took maybe their single biggest legal defeat yet as a family. And my goodness, they are crying about it. Let's start with the politics, though. Listen to this just as a start. And then there's House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who dodged and ignored questions yesterday about nah, Trump's nah, new presidential nah. campaign. <laughs> Why? No, what are you prepared to ignore something? 
Do you support? Hey, do you support the president? Uh, <laughs> what a snub! Ostracized. What a coward. We're just spying coward. Hey guys, check this out. Kevin McCarthy totally snubbed Trump. McCarthy won't endorse Trump! Exclamation point. LOL. What a burn, what a cut. Hey guys, check this out. Kevin McCarthy totally... What a burn, what a cut. Hashtag politics AF is hot on the trail of Trump going to jail. Exclamation points. Kevin McCarthy totally snubbed Trump. My podcast, hashtag politics AF is hot. <laughs> is hot fire on the trail of Trump going to jail? Exclamation point. LOL.
support? Hey, do you support the president? Uh, <laughs> what a snub. Ostracized. What a coward. Where's your spine, coward? Hey guys, check this out. Kevin McCarthy totally snubbed Trump. rides. Okay, there's something here about <clears throat> Judge seizes Trump secret documents this afternoon. Strongly support Donald Trump and, and say it out loud. He's just completely avoiding it and he wants to become the next Speaker of the House. So that's a guy when he's walking, avoiding answering that question. It's just simply reflecting the will of most of his members. So you can see that the Trump family is being abandoned. That again, Junior and Eric are going to be daddies like point men. They are basically the inside guys. What Jared and Ivanka used to be, that's who they are now. My goodness, I don't, I don't want to be in their position. I wouldn't want them to be my advisors. But that's where they are. And Trump can't even get a committal from Kevin McCarthy. That's devastating for Trump. McCarthy needs every single piece of Trump credibility right now as he struggles to to build a coalition he's got basically no votes to play with right the, the majority they have is razor thin so he's got like nothing to play with and a lot of the people that are mad at him are, are sort of trumpy right and so for him not to endorse trump even though trump has effectively given him the green light is a huge smack to the face to the entire trump family but also a sign that he's losing real steam and here is what's a big one for the family business and for the family finances of the uh, of the campaign, they can't even get the billionaires on their side anymore. And Jim, these mega donors, obviously, some of the people that helped fuel Donald Trump's campaign were, were with him. Uh, and listen, they follow power. They they follow yeah. the person they think is going to be uh, in, in power. And a lot of them have really uh, stuck uh, stuck their neck out, uh, saying. Hmm. You know, if, if they thought that Donald Trump was going to get there, I guess a better way to say it is a lot of them aren't going to stick their neck out unless they're pretty sure they're betting on a sure thing. And right now, for most of them, Ron DeSantis seems to be that sure thing. And Donald Trump already in the rearview mirror.
Yeah, look, you need money to run for president. I'll state it pretty plainly. And a lot of these people are the people who have been funding these outside groups that helped some of these Republicans win, not just this year, but in years past. So that's certainly not a good sign. I think it's important to state here that none of these people, the members or these donors, woke up and found morality, right? They just found that he was a loser and that they did not want to bet on this horse. Uh, I will say, though, what, what wakes me up at night, and, and I know Donald Trump's supporter after another Donald Trump supporter. Uh, his biggest problem is the guy that he's really going up against uh, that he's got to get through if he's going to win the Republican nomination is Ron DeSantis. And it is nearly unanimous. The people I've spoken with in the past that have been diehard Trump supporters, all deeply offended that he was attacking Ron DeSantis on the same night that Ron DeSantis was rolling up historic numbers in the state of Florida, while Donald Trump's uh, selections were losing uh, the Senate, and for, really embarrassing for, for, for Republicans, and and uh, you know they're saying, <laughs> sorry, it's kind of funny after you consider all the things Donald Trump has said in the past, but they're saying things like, "Man, he didn't show any class." There's no class when you're attacking Ryan DeSantis, uh, you know. So you know where I'm going with that, but this. This apparently seems to be the final straw. And unlike the other times when Donald Trump's back was against the wall, there is an alternative now inside the Republican Party. The more he attacks Ron DeSantis, the more he hurts his own standing in the Republican Party. So right now, he's sort of in a no-win situation. Yeah, Ron DeSantis has given Republicans somewhere else to go and fresh in their minds is his overwhelming 20-point defeat where he flipped a bunch of blue counties red, captured Latino voters in the state of Florida and can go out and say, I got these 29, 30 electoral votes in Florida locked up. Let's start playing from there if I run for president. But to like, Donald Trump is hemorrhaging billionaire support. And Eric and Don Jr. are going to feel this, too, for a few reasons. One, we know, we've seen it, that the Trump family, when, when they've been powerful in politics, have relied on rich and powerful people spending money at Trump businesses to help run the business and float it. While it struggled, they often made some money on the side using rich people, using the taxpayer, all of these things to make the business more profitable. And Eric and Don Jr. run the business day to day. And so for all... All of these big money people, whether it's foreign diplomats no longer interested in the Trump business because he's not in power, or it's billionaires not being as willing to splash the cash, Donald Trump's in real trouble there, and Eric and Don Jr. are going to feel that on the business. And if they're all trying to build a political operation, that's going to hurt too. And again, here's like another reiteration of it. ...who dumped on him and shunned him for decades in New York. They've been saddled sure. right up to him and shelled out big dollars. They're now turning their backs over the course of the last two days ron lauder steve schwartzman ken griffin that is a trifecta of a triple punch it means a lot because that also means they're going somewhere else right and is is that to ron DeSantis or another leading contender that increases their viability it is clear that all of the energy in the party right now is moving away from donald <laughs> trump but the paradox republicans find themselves in stephanie is donald trump himself cannot win a national election but Republicans cannot win one without Donald Trump's voters. Because what it shows, guys, is the entire apparatus is falling away. And Donald Trump and his boys, I don't think they can build it. Again, like, 
you know, I know he was never really like an establishment guy, but Donald Trump had always had a core of billionaire supporters because he gave them the tax cuts, he gave them the deregulation, he gave them the judges, and they were ultimately there. But again, these people aren't based on morals or principles or anything. They're based on cold, hard cash and cold, hard value. And they invested you know, in Donald Trump, you may call it bribery, you may call it political fundraising, you may call it whatever, but it's like an investment for rich people. They invested in Trump, and now the investment into him and his companies and his family, it's just not paying off, and they're cutting it loose. And here's where the legal troubles come in, because it hits the family square in the pocketbook. They took two big losses, all of them together, and both the criminal case against the company today and the civil case. Starting with the civil one, the judge has made it clear that every attempt they have, you know, the family to wriggle out of his demands on them is failing. And legal experts are noting that no one's ever been tougher on the Trump family. It says, according to the decision filed Thursday today, the former president's company has two weeks to deliver Judge Barbara S. Jones a full and accurate description of the corporate structure. The party shall promptly meet with the monitor and she'll cooperate with the monitor to design processes and procedures that provide the monitor with access to all information necessary to effectuate the monitor's responsibilities therein, the judge wrote. They're also responsible for informing her in advance of any shifting assets within 30 days of movement, guaranteeing they can't form the corporation in another state and funnel money outside there. All of this is bad. And in notes here, a legal uh, reporter uh, from the Daily Beast says, Justice Arthur Engeron continues to prove himself one of the toughest judges on the Trumps. Others have let Donald John Trump or his kids get by for decades, he will not budge an inch. And that's terrifying to Eric and Don Jr. and Daddy. And again, anything to deal with the company is a big hit to them, the, the boys, because they run it day to day. Ivanka, she, she's kind of done, like she's off. Donald Trump day to day doesn't actually run his own company anymore. He's busy you know, ranting and throwing ketchup at Mar-a-Lago. His sons actually do the day to day work. You know, Whether they do it well or not, I don't know, but they, they do the day to day work. And so anything to do with the company structure and having all of their secrets exposed affects them most day to day. But here's the real bombshell, the real defeat in court, because Weisselberg, who's been testifying, just dropped a massive bomb on the sons and daddy, directly implicating them in the tax avoidance scheme in a way we have yet seen. And it says here, Weisselberg said Donald Trump or at times Eric Trump or Trump Jr. signed checks to pay up to $100,000 for private school tuition for Weisselberg's grandchildren. He said that they had been instructed by the company, he instructed the company's controller to deduct the $100,000 from his salary, allowing him to report a smaller income. Copies of some of the checks signed by the Trumps have been shown in court. Weisselberg said the first time Trump signed a tuition check, Weisselberg said to him, don't forget, I'm going to pay you back for this. The payback, he said, was the salary salary reduction. And all of this is a big tax avoidance scheme because Trump can effectively pay this tuition. That's off the books. His person gets a tax deduction because they, they take 100000 less in salary. And so whether they're getting bonuses off the books or whether they're exchanging salary for bonuses and then not claiming the taxable amount, whichever way you slice it, they're either avoiding taxes once or twice. And with the signatures from the boys or daddy, it means they are involved. You know, it means they couldn't just say this was done without our knowledge they were signing the checks for these illegal tax evading type payments and deductions and all of that eric and don jr up until now haven't been nailed this directly now they have a devastating afternoon for the entire family my
Right, what's your, <clears throat> what's going on, what's going on? F-E-C-I-D, shit. Ah. Yeah, I just make this, just ate the sweetest brownie. I've ever had. It's kind of gross, actually. But one good thing about eating things that are incredibly sweet, you don't eat as much of them because you just get kind of like sugar bombed. Sugar bomb! Trump's 2024 presidential run announcement was a mess. Pod Save America three hours ago. Trump's desperate announcement, Pelosi reveals future plans. Stream three minutes ago. Hmm. MAGA incompetence, Midas Touch. Check it out. Are you still wearing enough layers to insulate Alaska? That's why you need the new and improved bearskin hoodie. Democratic Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi announces she will not be seeking re-election to Democratic House leadership and leader Steny Hoyer does the same. Democrats, though, have some new, incredible, pro-democracy, pro-normal leadership ready to take the baton. And compare this to the Republican mess we're seeing today. And do we still call them MAGA Republicans? Is that a thing? Or is it QAnon Republicans or Marjorie Taylor Greene Republicans? I don't know, brothers. You'll have to tell me. But <laughs> before even assuming control of the House, Republicans are in complete disarray. It appears that Marjorie Taylor Greene will be the most prominent voice for Republicans and the ability of Kevin McCarthy to become speaker, which is the thing he wants more than anything in life itself, seems to be in doubt. And it seems like it will just be an endless, dysfunctional, weirdness, echo chamber, conspiracy theory galore. And Americans are going to get to see it. They are going to be exposed. And we also don't know the results yet of the Lauren Boebert congressional race against Democrat Adam Frisch. After cured ballots, Boebert leads by only 557 votes. And the race looks like it's headed for a recount. And we got some legal updates. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals sets oral argument for November 22nd on the Department of Justice's expedited appeal in that case involving Trump stealing government records and Judge Eileen Cannon, who Trump appointed improperly asserting equitable jurisdiction. Judge Cannon, I've predicted, is about to get removed from that case. The 11th Circuit's going to overrule equitable jurisdiction. Mark Meadows also, he gives notice that he's just going to go appeal directly to the South Carolina Supreme Court. He's going to like avoid the intermediate like appeals court to try to block his testimony before the Fulton County Special Grand Jury. These people are just the biggest cowards in the world. And the Department 
Department of Justice files an appeal to that horrible order by the Trump judge in Texas who ordered that the student debt cancellation program would be blocked and stated it was unconstitutional. And in the Department of Justice's brief, they signaled that they would also be appealing the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals where there were two Trump judges and one George W. Bush judge, which blocked the student debt cancellation program in a horrible opinion that just completely lacked merit. They didn't even analyze the standard for an injunction. It was so strange. Um, and our guest tonight is the Democratic superstar, the newly elected 27-year-old Democratic state representative from Tennessee's 52nd congressional district, whose inspiring story from being a grassroots activist who was wrongfully arrested protesting injustices at the Tennessee State Capitol. Now he is a state representative inside the Capitol. This story will leave you motivated. We are excited to welcome Representative Justin Jones as our guest today. This is the Midas Touch podcast. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Brett and Jordy Micellis. And Brett, I didn't really want to talk about this, but there's some breaking news about Twitter and Elon Musk. And I said, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. But come on, Brett, you got to give us the most breaking news as we're recording this. Well, midterms are almost over. So I think we could start to dig into this a little bit. But today has some real kind of end of the world vibes to it and in a lot of aspects. I don't know if you guys are picking up on this. And it feels like everybody right now is just kind of tweeting through it. But will we be able to tweet through it for much longer? That is the question. After seeing the latest news about Elon Musk and Twitter and the chaos that's going on at Twitter, as many of you know, Elon Musk gave his employees an ultimatum, which said, basically, I forget the exact terminology he used in the email. You be he hardcore. Said, be hardcore. He said, if you're going to be committed to be hardcore in this company and you're ready to work extra hours nonstop and be hardcore for our company, then you're going to let me know tomorrow by 5 p.m. You could either check the box, yes, I'm in, or you could say, no, I am not in. You could get three months severance and be gone. And a lot of employees seem to have called his bluff. Apparently, last I heard about 75% of the people who run a video conference with Elon Musk quit on the spot with this ultimatum, said, okay, we'll take the severance. And now we are seeing reports that Twitter just alerted employees that effective immediately, all office buildings are temporarily closed and badge access is suspended. At the time of this original tweet, no details were given as to why. Before I read the rest of the story that has been updated throughout the night, which is just that just bonkers right there in and of itself. If you remember, Elon's big thing also was that remote work was going to be no more. That if you were able to, you had to come into the office. And so now he is saying the office is locked down. You can't come into the office. No more office. Uh, this is the uh, rest of the tweet, the rest of the story. We're hearing this is because Elon Musk and his team are terrified employees are going to sabotage the company. Also, they're still trying to figure out which Twitter workers they need to cut access for. This uh, reporter, Zoe Schiffer, says offices will reopen on November 21st. In the meantime, please continue to comply with company policy by refraining from discussing confidential company information on social media with the press or elsewhere. So things are just going Find nice. one another report from a organization that studies labor relations. Uh, this group, Team Blind, says that I, I cannot confirm if this is true or not, but this is the reporting that we are seeing that there are only 238 <laughs> people 
left at Twitter HQ, or as they refer to it as Bird at HQ. Their Twitter is down to 238 employees after the purge. Remember, they had, I think, around 7,500 employees when Elon took over. So uh, what's going on? What do you guys think of that? Well, all I want to say is this. If, if you follow us on Twitter, but you're not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, make sure you hit that subscribe button right now, because I just have a feeling that Y'all are going to go to your birdie app one day very soon to try and, you know, lock it's not going to work. And it's just not going to work. This is the, and Ben, you know this one, this is the fire fest of online apps. And it's, it, it's honestly, it, it's actually very sad. There's a lot of, a lot of people whose lives are ruined by this, ruined by this lunatic who decided to, I don't know, just force his will on so many people with just other disregard for, 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 uh, everything. I, I I can't stand this guy. It's Elon Musk. Yeah, I mean it was it's the whole thing. Fifty four twenty. I'm buying this for forty four billion dollars. I mean, one of the most absurd and insane things. You know, also the fact that like he seems to be spending his day like commenting on all the right wing extremists, like all of those weird accounts. He's just like, I'll look into that. What is Cat Turd saying today? And like, what is this right wing influencer who spreads ridiculous conspiracies saying today? Oh, I will look into that. I will like that. It's just a very, very, very weird thing. And meanwhile, also the Senate, you know, they're under a consent decree from the FTC. Um, and the Senate said, we need to investigate this, you know, this company right now because they are violating every aspect of the consent decree. I think that Elon Musk's lawyer had uh, reached out to Twitter employees and said that you will not be criminally prosecuted if you violate the consent decree. Like, you can't do that. There's a case called Upjohn also. Like, you you don't represent the employees, number one. And number two, you can't make that representation as corporate counsel. So just completely in disarray. And it's very reminiscent, frankly, of the, do we still call them MAGA Republicans? Or should we call them Marjorie Taylor Green Republicans? Because they're letting MTG Marjorie Republicans. I, like that I, know. I, said, I said Space Blazer Republicans when you are doing the intro, but I was on mute. I said like four or five things while you were doing the intro, and I was wondering why you weren't acknowledging them. I just thought you were ignoring me. But I was actually on mute. Uh, so you basically silenced, silenced you silenced yourself. Let's be one one number one. Jordy, but, no. space lasers is actually all I remember at this moment of time. But I'm sure the rest will come back to me. All right, so we can't confirm that Jordy had at least. Well, are we done with the Twitter stuff? Because there's yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's talk about Brett Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. She announced <laughs> the House floor. She will the not be Speaker, speaker of the House. What do you say? De facto Speaker of the House. Let's be clear. She's not actually Speaker of the House. For those who can't read through the sarcasm of Ben's remarks, but it sure seems like she is acting like Speaker of the House. She's certainly getting out in front of there more than Kevin McCarthy or any of the other people in the Republican Party, huh? No, no, I was saying Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. I was saying Speaker of the House. Oh, I Nancy thought you said I was still on MTGs. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I know that's right. <laughs> no. I was saying Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi will not be seeking re-election for Democratic leadership but she will remain a member of the House. It was an emotional and historic speech on the House floor Thursday afternoon. And she, and also Steny Hoyer announced, Steny Hoyer announced he, he's the majority leader. He will not be uh, running. And let's play the video of Nancy Pelosi from today making this uh, heartfelt, sad, uh, but very important and historic announcement. This I will continue to do as a member of the House, speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California, and defending our Constitution.
and with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. And I'm grateful that so many are ready and willing to shoulder this awesome responsibility. Speaker Pelosi also talked about a lot of her accomplishments. She talked about in the Obama administration, the Affordable Care Act. She talked about accomplishments with the Bush administration. She talked about all the accomplishments with the Biden administration. And she said that she really enjoyed working with the three presidents uh, who, who she thought he was missing, though, I believe. Play the clip. It's my privilege to play a part in forging extraordinary progress for the American people, I have enjoyed working with three presidents, achieving historic investments in clean energy with President George Bush. <laughs> Transformative health care reform with President Barack Obama. from infrastructure to health care to climate action with President Joe Biden. She read those three. I will always have that indelible image of when uh, Trump was speaking uh, in the State of the Union and she took the speech. And... Sounded like a fake uh, tearing noise. It, it did. It sounded like you implemented. For those only listening, Ben just did an excellent recap of, of Pelosi ripping up the sheet of paper. Then that was an actual tear. Maybe I should be a sound tear. Tear. Same thing. The voice work for you, but 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 that worked. Brett, and she had a historic tenure, right? I mean, major accomplishments. When she ascended to the minority leader role in 2003, Pelosi, a mother of five, became the first woman to lead a major party in Congress. She made history again in 2007 when she became the first female House Speaker. Um, and she's been able to hold the Democratic caucus together and get through important, really historic legislation. What did you say? I would say so for sure. And, uh, you know, always handled herself, but just, you know, she, she's the epitome of class, the epitome of grace. She's somebody who really knows how government works and how to bring coalitions together. And there really are very few people, if anyone else, like her out there. I mean, her not being there and she's still going to be in the house she's not good she's just not going to be in a leadership role anymore she's passing the torch to the younger generations which is also you know a, a, such a great leadership move right there for her to say yeah. you know what it's 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 time um but you know the, the epitome of class and you know just runs so counter to everything we see from the republicans i mean she's somebody who when she was house speaker committed herself to trying to deliver for the american people and say what you want about her i know you know there's certainly people who have tons of different feelings about her but when she was in congress she was focused on how do we pass legislation to help the american people and not like this circus this absolute circus that you were already seeing with the republican party and that we've seen with the republican party in the past i mean it's night and day and i think it's very fitting that i, I believe i've heard kevin mccarthy did not even show up 
for her address today. She did not even show up during that speech. Just the scum of the earth, Kevin McCarthy. Just a really despicable, despicable human being. Um, but Pelosi, such grace, such a contrast to just the hate and the just disgusting nature of this Republican Party that we're seeing. Majority Leader Steny Hoyer gave his strong endorsement of Hakeem Jeffries for Democratic leader. Um, and Hakeem Jeffries was likely to become the minority leader. Uh, Catherine Clark, the minority whip. Pete Aguilar as caucus chair, with Jim Clyburn staying on as assistant Dem leader. That's from a report by Hugo Lowell. So a uh, great transition, right? A very yeah. calm, orderly transition. It looks like that that's what's going to take place. And we compare that, though, to what's going on in the uh, MTG Republican side of things. And look, you got Kevin McCarthy, who, you know, would just spend all of his days and nights at Mar-a-Lago, you know, kissing Trump's ass, like, like, literally, that's what he would do. You know, he basically sold his soul to get this speakership. This was all he's cared about. Country be damned. Um, there was an internal conference meeting to elect a leader of the Republican Party. McCarthy won that. He was challenged by Andy Biggs. I mean, you got Andy Biggs versus McCarthy. I mean, both, I mean, you know, both not anywhere near a scintilla of team normal. Very strange. But McCarthy won that by a margin of 188 to 31 in the internal conference. But that's not enough, right, to become the Speaker of the House. He needs a majority. And he's well short of a majority. Um, and Brett's just putting up right now a statement from Manu Raju who says, I think it's very clear Kevin McCarthy does not have close to 218 votes. And that's quoting Representative Bob Good, a Republican representative. Uh, representative Andy Biggs predicted some kind of consensus candidate will emerge and asked about chances that McCarthy will become the speaker. Biggs said flatly he doesn't have the votes. I Real mean, Hamilton vibes right now. You don't have the votes. You don't have the votes. You're going to need congressional approval because you don't have the vote. You know what song I'm talking about? You got to know. Hamilton votes. Um, no, I mean, Kevin McCarthy's in a weird place. Kevin McCarthy has dedicated like his entire life. He he sleeps and dreams about being Speaker of the House. It's it, No one wants it more than this guy. And he is so evil and so craven and has done everything to achieve this position. And he's as close as he's ever gotten. And the Republicans who he has just allowed to take over the party are now going not so fast, Kevin, not so fast. But he thinks that his big ticket to getting that speakership role his big ticket to being in the Speaker of the House is to give Marjorie Taylor Greene the most extreme member of the Republican Party power. And so now you have this weird dynamic where you have well, basically all most of the crazies of the Republican Party saying, uh-uh, Kevin, we're not voting for you. But then you have Marjorie Taylor Greene, of all people, going, I support Kevin because Kevin offered me some seats on committees because Kevin offered me some power. It is just so typical Republican politics, and they hit the ground running today with all their BS. They started off with all their campaigning. They spoke about inflation, and they spoke about crime, and they spoke about the border. They spoke about all these various issues. They had those whole uh, commitment to America ceremonies where they laid out their plans, and Kevin McCarthy spoke in his deep uh, listening voice and said, listen, I hear you. I know that you are going through 
tough, high prices. I understand. And that's why we as Republicans, that's why we're going to help you. Where we feel you. And then they get into power, not even in power yet. But day one of having the majority, what do these people do? It becomes Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden. We're going after Dr. Fauci. It's everything that we have warned about for the past few months, what they're going to do. It's exactly what they are doing. And I hope the American people see through this, and I think they will. But at the same time, I am sad and I am angry that for the next two years, we're going to have to deal with these people doing these bullshit investigations, wasting taxpayer money to look into Hunter Biden, to harass Dr. Fauci, to harass Nancy Pelosi, all for their own political games, rather than actually dedicate their time and energy to do what the Democrats did when the Democrats were in charge, which is actually governing, being an actual governing majority that is actually trying to pass bills to help the American people. None of this is going to help the American people. It is going to waste a lot of time and a lot of money. And that I'm pretty upset about. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's what they're going to focus on, right, Jordy? They're going to focus on Hunter Biden, drag queens, uh, CRT, book burning, Disney World. And it's like, that's not what Americans are focused on right now. Americans are focused on health care. Yep. education, yep. infrastructure, true freedoms, the freedom of a woman to help control her yes. own body. That's what Americans are thinking about, to love who they want to love and marry. It's just so amazing. Like, it just... And hey, they gerrymandered their way into this position very much so, if not for bad gerrymandering maps. The Democrats actually would have won the House if not for bad gerrymandering maps. But it's just so amazing that there are American people out there who fall for this con every single time. It's like I, it's like we live in this infinite loop of stupidity where the Republicans come in based off lies, based off saying shit and obstructing and lying and gaslighting. And then at the very end, they start trying to appeal to people's fears about crime and inflation and prices and act like they understand people's kitchen table issues. Then they get into power. And what do they do? They end up going full crazy. Like last time it was Benghazi, 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 which wasted millions of dollars, ended up turning up absolutely nothing. All of their investigations happened like this. This time we're doing Hunter Biden. We're doing Fauci. We're doing January 6th, but to harass Nancy Pelosi for her role in January 6th, as they say, that this is the path that they're going down right now. And we can show you the clips. We got, I'm not making this stuff up. We can show you the clip shortly. And then it's going to be two years of that. And then people are going to be like, ah, maybe it wasn't such a good idea to put these people in power. You'll see a big shift back to the Democrats in 2024. Then the first year that the Democrats have power, people are going to be like, well, why, are, why isn't everything done yet? Why don't we pass all the policies? Why don't you fix everything yet? Well, you just gave the arsonists power to burn the place down for another two years. We're trying to fix it, people. And then it's just the same cycle. They give, It's just, it's ping pong. It's, it's stupid ping pong. It's, it's, it, it's so it, funny. It, it, it's definitely stupid ping pong, but let me just say this, and I know it's not maybe the popular opinion of it all, but if there is a silver lining, and you guys always know I'm the one that looks for the silver linings and all these, let Marjorie speak. Let Marjorie speak. Give her the mic. Because what we saw in these, these last elections of the midterms, overwhelmingly, the American people reject this weird, ultra-maga, cultish behavior. And so if that's being seen and played out on a constant, daily, hourly, minutely basis... I mean, that's just that's just going to fire up the base that the pro-democracy, unapologetically pro-democracy, pro-normal folks to get out there and be like, you know what, that these people actually aren't the ones who I want leading anymore. I want sane, competent, unapologetically pro-democracy folks at the mic. Not Mark, I could not agree. 
I cannot agree more with you, Jordy, and that's why, you know, I, I, as I said earlier, um, you know what they say, never interrupt your enemy when they are making a mistake. And currently, the Republican Party is making a huge mistake. But what we need to ensure is that this is a fatal mistake that costs them their majority, their very slim majority in a couple of years. And really, I want to destroy this party. I really, really, really do. I think they have no ability to govern. I think there are people who have voted for Republicans in the past who no longer do. I honestly think they're all on the Democratic side and then more by the day or coming and as they see all this stuff they're going to see more of this mass exodus as we have spoken about on our show of independence of republicans to the democratic party um and you know it's, it's sad i don't want a single party system here but the republicans have completely abdicated their ability to govern their desire to govern it is all just political games and political nonsense and conspiracy theories and it's it's enough with them it's enough with them and i will dedicate every second of these next two years to making sure that they get out of power. You said don't interrupt uh, your opposition uh, when they are speaking. Let's play the clip of Representative Republican Representative James Comer today who was begging to be asked questions about Hunter Biden. Like that was his thing. He's like, but, but can we talk about Hunter Biden? This was so, weird. so pathetic to play this clip. Not if we can keep it about Hunter Biden, this is kind of a big deal, we think. If we can keep it about Hunter Biden, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen a politician actually force the media to ask him like a specific question. No, ask me about this. I want to talk about what you're doing. I don't, I, I really, look, I'm, I'm not here to talk about education or healthcare or uh, real people's freedoms or I'm not here to talk about the economy. I'm not here to talk about like how to help our allies. Like what I really want to talk about, Hunter Biden is my number one priority right now for this country is doing investigations on, uh, on Hunter Biden. I mean, it is the most absurd thing in the world and talk about our allies you then have again don't interrupt your opposition when they're out there saying you know crazy stuff that's easily exposed as as just ridiculous insanity but like let's show this clip here of marjorie taylor green you know talking about this is the new right-wing marjorie taylor green republican conspiracy here that ftx the cryptocurrency exchange um, that they were involved as an intermediary to funnel taxpayer dollars to Ukraine through a plot directly with Biden. And Brett, you, you gave a good description to me offline about I, I had to call you up. I'm like, what is this? Consp what's this? Cause I was like, what's this conspiracy? Wasn't Dude. the right wing? Like, aren't all these right wing people like, weren't they the ones pushing like the crypto stuff? And they're saying Doji's on a rise and this one and that one. Like that was like a right wing by the dip, by the all, all of the right wing like podcasts all advertised for FTX. And, and this FTX company gave tens of millions of dollars to Republican PACs. They gave tens of millions of dollars to Democratic PACs as organizations do. But like, if you go back and look at a lot of these people's podcasts, it's like brought to you by FTX. Like they sponsored all of these Republican stuff. But Brett, let's play this clip of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Break down for me what they're saying. And then I want to give you my thoughts. But let's talk about the aid to Ukraine. Here in the news, we're just finding out about the situation with FTX and the cryptocurrency. So is American people's taxpayer dollars going to fund aid in Ukraine, but yet it's really funding something else that's happening, maybe ending up in Democrat donors' pockets? Was that helping Democrat campaigns? Was that helping Democrat candidates get elected? 
All right, let's unwind this a little bit, um, because I'm sure a lot of you listening to this are like, what the hell is she talking about? And what is FTX and what is this whole thing? And I don't blame you because it's like they speak their own language sometimes. I, I truthfully, even like when their people come and like try to troll comments on Twitter and things by saying things about the demon rats and whatever, I, it's like I need I need a Google Translate for MAGA. I need a Google Translate to understand it's what the hell Morse these code people thread. are talking about. Um, but this whole thing is there was this cryptocurrency exchange has been explained called FTX. And FTX had a lot of money. It grew quickly in popularity. They had, I believe, Super Bowl commercials where they had celebrities. It was being pumped on all of these right-wing podcasts. You know, crypto is a big part of the right-wing ecosystem. It's, it's been a big part. I'm not saying only right-wing people do crypto, but it certainly has taken a foothold in this right-wing ecosystem and they were kind of the core people selling this thing on on their throughout their podcast networks and whatnot named after ftx i mean it was it was it was huge yeah, and so the company, you know, gets a lot of money from all, all these investors hoping to get rich off crypto, and it basically goes belly up. That's kind of its own other story that we get into another time. But for the sake of this story, all you have to know is that the company crashes their deposits, though, Brett, and they use their deposits to basically rob from Peter to pay Paul. They also had a hedge yeah. fund called Alameda. So they took people's deposits on the currency exchange to then pay for what they were doing on their hedge fund. And then when people realized they were doing that, everyone said, all right, well, give me my money back. And then they had a liquidity crisis because they couldn't give the money back because they were taking the money. And so this company went from being valued at billions and billions of dollars to being now bankrupt because of you know that. And it's a big, it's unlawful. It's a big no-no. You don't take money from deposits and steal it so you can give it. But anyway, Anyway, that's the that's the underlying issue. I just wanted to say that with FTX. But go on, Brett, about yeah, what they, the company here is and that. It's it's this young entrepreneur, Sam Bankman Freed, I believe his name. They call him SBF as is the uh, initials that he goes by. And he he is like this young kind of tech broy figure who you know, in a lot of ways, reminds me of a version of like an Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos woman. Um, and, and I'm sure there will be a series and a Netflix doc or whatever about this whole scenario, probably about Twitter, too, because Elon is looking like that's the direction where all this is going. But those are the vibes you get kind of big promises. And at the end of the day, it's a little fraud and a little Ponzi scheme. And so basically, he, you know, they had a ton of money and FTX donated tens of millions of dollars to Democrats. I think uh, the the SBF dude donated something like $42 million to like a Democratic PAC. And then he also himself had given to Republicans. Then the other executive gave something like $25 million or so of ballparking it here to Republicans. So it was going to both sides. You know, wealthy people, investment banks and stuff, I mean, they do that. They give money to PACs. That's a part of our politics. I'm not for it, but it's a part of our politics that exists. Um, where the Ukraine stuff comes in is FTX partnered with a fundraising site that was called Aid for Ukraine. Um, they basically provided the technology where people who had cryptocurrency could use their cryptocurrency, could donate that cryptocurrency to the Ukrainian humanitarian organizations. And this in between, what they would do is it would convert the cryptocurrency into cash and get it to the Ukrainian humanitarian organizations. That was it. It was a way to donate to the Ukrainian humanitarian effort. Now, they're trying to spread this idea that this means Republicans were involved in investing in FTX. And this is where it kind of gets weird. And I mean, if it hasn't gotten weird yet, this is where it gets even weirder. Because Republicans have been spreading this lie 
that U.S. tax dollars went to Ukraine in the form of this military and humanitarian aid. Then Ukraine partnered with FTX and invested that money heavily into FTX. Once again, did not happen. The founder of FTX then donated the money to the Democratic Party and PACs and candidates. And FTX the whole time was simply a money laundering intermediary for the Democratic Party, Zelensky, and Joe Biden. I mean, it's truly to to fun. support Ukraine against Putin. That that was the whole that, it, that it, the whole thing here was the end of it was to deal was to help Ukraine out. I mean, meanwhile. Literally, if you want to have the honest conversation, it is that billions of tax dollars, this is true, was appropriated to support Ukraine because there is an existential fight for democracy and for freedom where our enemy, Vladimir Putin, the dictator of Russia, wants to conquer all of Europe and wants to destroy the United States and interferes with our elections and unlawfully invaded Ukraine. So if you want to have the honest debate and what Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to say, we shouldn't give money to Ukraine, at least she's structuring the debate on the terms that we could say, well, of course we do. We don't support Vladimir Putin. And then we can get out to the heart of what this is really about, which is what Marjorie, they're basically saying, though, is that Vladimir Putin. that's it. What it really is about is that they support Putin, but they want to create this whole conspiracy rather than get into the heart of what the actual issue is. Because tens of billions of dollars went to Ukraine, we support that. Americans should support that. There's an international effort to stop Putin's aggression and lawful invasion. But yet they approach it from this conspiracy angle to lie and to gaslight the American people. Yeah, I mean, they, they want you to think that Ukraine took the money given to them from the U.S. government, invested it in this FTX, built up Ukraine and Zelensky, built up FTX personally, and then they funneled that money from FTX to Democratic candidates to win the midterms. It's just the most, like, on its face, it just doesn't even make any sense at all. But they are so confident in this story. And you have even people like Elon Musk who are pushing this story. You have right-wing investors kind of pushing this story. They're trying to absolve themselves of blame for pushing crypto for being on the wrong side of this and they are frankly doing putin's bidding here by spreading conspiracy theories against ukraine and against the united states support of ukraine the truth is yes of course the u.s sent money to ukraine that's not a secret that's we all it's a very transparent process it's public it's been voted on the the spending is all tracked you could go online and see it ukraine never invested in ftx they're not investors of ftx they received humanitarian aid from people who had Crypto, who wanted to donate crypto based on a platform that FTX helped facilitate. And that is the end of it. But it's just nonstop conspiracy theories. Remember, we played that clip of Charlie Kirk from the last time where he goes, I wonder uh, who is uh, the Wendy Rogers with Charlie Kirk, the, uh, what is she, a state representative or whatever in Arizona, whatever she is. She's in Arizona. Jeez. Um, but, you know, she was like, I wonder, we, we, all this time, were we living in a bubble? Were we just in a bubble, an echo chamber? Then they go back the next day to their echo chambers, spreading these same lies that the average American doesn't even know what the heck they are speaking about. It's truly like, they, who knows what they're talking about? I you know, love it. I love it. Good. Give them yeah. the mics. Give them the mic. Let them keep speaking because every you time know, they speak, we get another voter on our side. I mean, these people are absolutely ridiculous. 
And then you go to like their influencers again, like Ben Shapiro. Like, look, as we're talking about here on the podcast, like what are the issues we talk about here? We talk about like, how can we make education accessible to people, right? How can we make sure that all Americans have healthcare? Like, how do we stand up for people's freedoms? Like the freedom of a woman to have choice over her own body. How do we fight for people to be able to marry who they want to marry without the government saying, no, if you're LGBTQ plus, you can't have this or you can't have this. Like we're talking about infrastructure here in this country. We're talking about bringing jobs here to this country. We're talking about having Americans not just have a living wage, but a wage with dignity. Like we're talking about these issues. So these issues are not radical extremist issues. This should be on all of our minds because these are things we think about healthcare education, jobs, right? Those are the things. And what are they talking about? You know, they're talking about like Ben Shapiro, right? Who would be our, this is what they're talking about. You know, like our competition, if you will. Like this is what they're talking about in their echo chamber. As Disney begins pushing Strange World for next week's release, here's the reminder that their quote, not at all secret gay agenda to target kids is ongoing. It's part of the plot of this movie, just as it was with Lightyear. Your kids, your choice. Like what? What are they? This is this comes from the same people who brought you Mr. Potato Head and the Green Eminem and Dr. Seuss. It, it, it is mind-boggling that there is even an audience for that. That there are people who look at that and go, "Yeah, what I'm really upset about is that strange world. Uh, it really bugs me. It really bugs me that there's a, a gay marriage in that movie." Ugh, I'm so I'm so livid. Can my representatives do something about that? Anybody? Elon. Elon. I love when they all ask Elon too. Like that's like one of their. That is a like, new Elon. thing that I see now. Yeah, I've seen that in Twitter reply. Elon. Elon, what do you think? Elon, can you confirm? What do you think? Tell me how to think, Daddy. It's like it's like the most ridiculous, pathetic thing. They're like, oh well, we gotta kill woke. Woke died. Yeah, we we killed woke, dude. Like care about your families. Care about. Like, have some empathy, have some damn empathy and understand what government is for. It's not to fight your culture war battles. Government is here to actually help people. And you apparently do not give a shit about other people. So step aside and let the adults in the room do the job. If that's what you think and stick to your weirdo message boards, stick to your 4chan's and stay the hell out of our government. It's just sick and deranged and Americans are done with it. And they told them that we are done with it. And they're only going to get their ass kicked further and further by continuing on down this path. It is absolutely ridiculous. I am so excited now to bring in our guest this evening, Democratic superstar, 27-year-old Tennessee representative, Justin Jones, who will be joining us in a just of- a moment. But before Justin Jones uh, joins us, I do want to let everybody know, though, that if you can, we've got a Patreon. Yes. Right at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Would you consider becoming a patron of the Midas Touch Network? You know, we are not funded by any outside investors. That that right there is a pretty radical concept, Brett and Jordy. So we are not funded by any of those millionaire or billionaire investors who fund the both sides media, who fund the pro-fascist going through the portal. <laughs> to I the... think we, we've showed how important true 
independently funded media is right now where you're not beholden to those corporate interests. So that's why we have Patreon and you can become a patron. There's lots of exclusive content that you can only see on patreon.com. Now, we still will have all of the great content we do for free here on YouTube, so don't worry about that. But there is exclusive Q&As and bonus podcasts and so much more. There's even a tier where you could become an honorary producer of the Midas Touch podcast and your name will appear at the end of the episode. You can get a poster that shows that you are an honorary producer, get postcards from us. There's exclusive merch drops on our Patreon and so much more. But most importantly, it will help grow this platform. So go check it out. Patreon dot com slash Midas Touch and please no matter where you are in the world no worries if you can't do it I know you subscribe to a lot of things but I think that one is a really important one and it will help grow this community together because more than anything this is a community and not just some network at this, knows, podcast, at this, at this rate you might not even have another place to find us so. <laughs> <laughs> this can I just say one more quick thing about the Patreon real quick yeah. we did a spicy Q&A the other night for our patrons out there and I we got some good reviews on that one, so I think if you, if you join now, you could still get access to prior content that we posted. Yep, so you can absolutely. check out what I'm talking and about. You can ask there. questions for the next one. And I have one word, and we'll just leave it cryptic. Oh. Frozen gushers. Wow. Frozen gushers. This podcast is also brought to you by our partner, Athletic Greens. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. And I started taking Athletic Greens because I had all of those uh, vitamins and pills and gummies and just was not doing the job. But with Athletic Greens in this one cup of this green superfood powder, I just scoop it. I put it in this cup. I put some water in it. I shake it up. I drink it. I got all the vitamins I need for the day. It's made me feel great. I hope it's made me look okay but it's made me feel great and gave me all the energy i need so what is this stuff with one delicious scoop of athletic greens you're absorbing 75 <sighs> high quality vitamins athletic minerals whole food source superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right it's a special blend of ingredients that will support your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy focus and aging all things and it's lifestyle friendly so whether you eat keto paleo representative of tennessee said you gotta speak with uh representative jones the story's incredible your background but i want to hear it from you tell us how you went from being you know activist to running for office and all of the roadblocks that you faced including being arrested it has definitely um, been a journey, and it's still surreal to be here, a building that I was um, arrested from you know, many times. I was even banned here um, for a year in 2019 as part of one of the court agreements, and in 2020, they tried to file a special motion to put a GPS ankle bracelet on me so that I would be banned from Capitol grounds. So it has been a battle to get into the people's house, but I'm proud to say that I went from the jailhouse to the state house, um, and that this is the people's house of Tennessee. And so... Um, you know, I started organizing um, in Tennessee when we passed our restrictive voter laws that made it harder for college students to vote. But 10 years ago, when I was at Fisk University, um, got involved and saw the craziness we were dealing with with this um, Republican supermajority that you know is largely based on the policy, politics of white supremacy and, and violence against our communities. And so um, led a lot of the protests in 2020 as well, where I had the majority of my arrest was around you know police accountability and racial justice. 
Um, we had multiple demands. One was to, you know, demilitarize the Tennessee Highway Patrol, to um, look at shifting funding to social services and social workers, and also to remove the statue of a KKK uh, leader that we have in our state capitol that had been there since 1978. And um, we got the statue down, but now we have to remove the laws it represents. Um, we are the birthplace of the Klan. We are um, a state where a lot of these conservative folks like um, Candace Owings and Tommy Lauren and all these other folks are moving here. So we have to be alert. And this is really the front lines of the battle. And so um, I got tired of begging these politicians to change. I got tired of getting locked out. And so I said, it's time to change who's in those seats. I ran. Um, I'm the first, I'm the youngest lawmaker currently serving. I'm also the first black lawmaker in my district, uh, District 52, which is the most diverse district in Tennessee. So well, that's a okay background. Synopsis. So I, I want to show all of our viewers and listeners the video uh, of you heading into the Capitol for the first time, a place where you were arrested in front of. And then after I play the video, I want to get your reaction. And if you could just tell us, like, what was going through your mind as you made that uh, journey. So let's play the clip. Heading to the Capitol, uh, first day, midnight last night, it was official. Representative-elect for District 52. A little bit nervous, and it doesn't feel completely real yet. It's a familiar place. It's the people's house, and so we should be welcome there. Equally elected representative for 70,000 constituents. Ten years ago, when I first came to the Capitol, I was an undergraduate student fighting for voting rights, and then where we are now, you know, how much has changed and how much has stayed the same. I mean, I never imagined this. I don't think a lot of people imagined this. Two years ago, I was banned. I was arrested from this building. They tried to file a motion to put a GPS ankle bracelet on me to keep me from Capitol grounds, and yet the people have spoken, and they want strong fighters and bold voices for our district. This is the People's House in the plaza where we were arrested. I was arrested in 2020 14 times, staying on that plaza, sleeping on that plaza. We're on the plaza because we couldn't get in the building. Starting today, once I go to HR, I'll have a key and an ID. So this time when we go in, the troopers won't be bringing me to jail, but hopefully they'll be showing me where to park and how to get to my, you know, my new office, the People's Office of District 52. It's quite the arc bending toward justice in Tennessee, so... So if you can tell us, uh, tell us about like what was going through your mind at this time. It was just, I mean, until I walked in and got, you know, we get these security pins, we get our badges. I don't know where I put my badge. You know, we're official now. Yeah. And so, you know, the same troopers who arrested me had to show me, you know, that same agent had to show me where to park. And so, you know, say, Representative, this is your parking place. And it feels surreal. I, mean, I see colleagues, I see representatives who have shut the door in my face, who now are my colleagues. I see. Um, spaces of power that people like me are not supposed to be in where um they can't keep us out anymore and, and i you know the important thing too that i keep emphasizing is that you know this is, is this is for the people like i think that's really what i'm trying to do with my election is demystify the process put transparency in here that's why that video we wanted to show people like this is what the process is because most of us i mean i didn't realize it happens the next day after you get elected in tennessee our state law you become the representative the next day um, at midnight, actually. And so, I mean, a lot of us didn't know that. And so the process we go through, um, you know, I'm grateful for the Tennessee Hall of recovering that um, experience that was very surreal, that's still surreal. You know, I brought a large picture of, of people who inspire me, of John Lewis, who was also a young person who got arrested in Nashville right here outside the state capitol, desegregating lunch counters, and then went to Congress. And so I think, you know, we have a history here in Nashville of young people getting in good trouble, getting in the way, and disrupting systems of injustice. And so, um, I'm hopeful and I'm still, you know, you know, I've been here trying to prepare drafting bills, learning about the process, but also 
Um, I think it's just, it is our presence being in this building that is really a threat to the systems that want to, that fear multiracial democracy, that fear, fear multi-generational democracy. Like, our presence here um, is a threat. And, you know, me and Sister Gloria Johnson, we are the Good Trouble Caucus. Um, Gloria was, you know, one of the homeless who still with us in our protest, one of the few lawmakers who came out with us. And, you know, that's what I hope to be, is to be a representative of the people. Um, one colleague told me already, um, you either can be an activist or a legislator. Um, I'm going to be both, because activism is about activating people, it's about um, organizing people, and it's about shining light on issues. And so I don't believe we have to make a choice, um, and particularly not in a state where people are trying to take us backwards in 1950s, so we got to be active. Well, because the opposition's active taking away people's rights and taking away people's freedoms, and they're activists of hate, you know, and so, you know, the person who gave you that advice, you know, the, 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 what, what the right-wing extremists in Tennessee were fighting you for before you ran for office were things like, well, what were you fighting for? Expansion of Medicaid? In Tennessee, yeah. right? Repealing a restrictive state voter ID law, um, uh, confronting systemic racism in policing, um, challenging a dangerous bill that would seek to limit the First Amendment rights of nonviolent protest. I mean, you have the right wing there taking away freedoms, and you're fighting for restoring freedoms to all people of Tennessee. That's how I view the issue. That is a good point, Ben, because, I mean, it's interesting that for me, you know, they try to portray me as an extremism, but we had insurrectionists serving in the legislature like Terry Lynn Weaver. We have people who prayed over the bus that went to D.C. to commit the insurrection who serve in the Senate. We have people who, um, you know, defended the statue of the KKK, and we have the first bill being filed this session already is a bill to make it a um, drag show uh, criminalized. Like, that is what their priorities are. I mean, this is insanity, um, and it is... It is something that we have to stand against, and so I think that was exactly right, Ben, is that, you know, I'm proud of my record. Um, I think that's a good bill you brought up, because that actually was a turning point for me, too, was um, last year they didn't only try to criminalize protests, but they tried to make a law to make it legal to run over protesters. And that, for me, was this aha moment. Like, these people really are, you know, legislating violence against people like me. And so we have to stand, you know, stand up in here and, and be a voice of truth. We were able to kill that bill by speaking before the committee, but the fact that they, that was even considered made me feel like we need to remove some of these votes. But this is not a, the Bellmead Country Club, which is one of our Republican country clubs. This is not, uh, you know, a palace, but this is the people's house. I'm going to take our power back. That's what seems to happen whenever Republicans get a majority, or especially in the case of Tennessee, uh, a supermajority, where you, you would think, oh, now I have this power, I could use it to do good, but they just seem to use it to double down and triple down on their extremism. I mean, let's talk about the example that you just put forth. I mean, there are obviously a ton of issues on people's minds right now, from inflation to social security to racial justice to abortion. Yet the first bill this GOP supermajority put forward after the election was, like you said, to make drag shows a felony. That was their priority. What does that tell you right there about the Tennessee GOP? They are out of touch. I mean, I spent from the spring to the summer, I was canvassing, knocking on doors, talking to people across, not just in my district, but you know, when I went to Knoxville to canvass as well, no one brought this up as an issue. But for them, because of some type of fragile masculinity or whatever they're dealing with, um, you know, projection. Um, this was a priority for them to file right after, you know, the morning after the election. I, and I, I'm very concerned that if this is what they go to sleep thinking about and fearing, um, that people in their districts are, have no representation How because we're statewide, we have hundreds of thousands of people who don't have health care. We have the uh, the highest number of low-wage workers in Tennessee is one of the most... Um, 
economically when we look at our tax system. We tax groceries, um, but we have, you know, we don't tax corporations. And so, we, you know, this is the issue that we're dealing with. And so I, my, my, my message to them is that we need to go to their district and really shame these harmful you know, policy agenda that is not about the people, but that's about, you know, hate. And that's about creating this type of uh, Southern aristocracy is what I would call it. They're trying to, you know, they're, they're, they're doing this, this politics that it serves the interests of a very few by dividing conquer, by keeping us afraid of each other, by trying to keep us in silos. But like I told one of the, my constituents who called me last night, who was a drag star, uh, star performer, who called me saying that this is going to put them in danger and make them afraid to be in their own skin, is that if they come from one of us, they come for all of us, whether it's racial justice, whether it's, whether it's our LGBT community, whether it is women, we're going to stand together because they've been, you know, they're, they're united in their hate and we got to be united in our, in our fight for justice. And while you're talking about justice and are speaking about the issues, like everything I see coming from the, the Tennessee Republicans, uh, who I think it's a microcosm of Republicans at large, is just this extreme corruption that we're, that we're seeing throughout. I mean, the, the Tennessee House representative who was the House Speaker there, Glenn Cassida, who sought vengeance on you and tried to revoke your bail, he, he had decided not to run mm -hmm. this year. And after he and his chief of staff were basically caught sending racist and racist text messages, his home, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on any of these facts, or his home and office were raided by the FBI. He was indicted for a role in an illegal kickback scheme. Is you making it to the state house karma? And uh, what, what, what would you take on all that? <laughs> it is very interesting that for so long you have these Republicans. I mean, that is a wild story. Uh, people are not in Tennessee. For us. It seems to have frozen, so I'm going to stop and Hi there, we're watching Trump's desperate announcement. Pelosi reveals future plans. Democratic stars soar. This was uploaded three hours ago. Midas touch. You know, it's, it's sad. I don't want a single party system here, but the Republicans have completely abdicated their ability to govern, their desire to govern. It is all just political games and political nonsense and conspiracy theories, and it's it's enough with them. It's enough with them. And I will dedicate every second of these next two years to making sure that they get out of power. You said don't interrupt uh, your opposition uh, when they are speaking. Let's play the clip of Representative, Republican Representative James Comer today, who was begging to be asked questions about Hunter Biden. Like, that was his thing. He's like, but, but can we talk about Hunter Biden? This was so, weird. so pathetic. Play this clip. Last question is, what are the grounds? If we can keep it about Hunter Biden, this is kind of a big deal, we think. If we can keep it about Hunter Biden, well, that would be great. I've never seen a politician actually force the media to ask him like a specific question. No, ask me about this. I want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I really look. I'm, I'm not here to talk about education or healthcare or uh, real people's freedoms or I'm not here to talk about the economy. I'm not here to talk about like how to help our allies. Like what I really want to talk about. Hunter Biden is my number one priority right now for this country. Is doing investigations on uh, on Hunter Biden. I mean, it is the most absurd thing in the world to talk about our allies you then have again don't interrupt your opposition when they're out there saying you know crazy stuff that's easily exposed as as just ridiculous insanity but like let's show this clip here of marjorie taylor green you know talking about this is the new right-wing marjorie taylor green republican conspiracy here that ftx the cryptocurrency exchange 
um, that they were involved as an intermediary to funnel taxpayer dollars to Ukraine through a plot directly with Biden. And Brett, you, you gave a good description to me offline about I, I had to call you up. I'm like, what is this? What's this? Because I was like, what's this conspiracy? Wasn't the right wing? Like, aren't all these right wing people like, weren't they the ones pushing like the crypto stuff and they're saying Doji's on a rise and this one and that one. Like that was like a right wing thing. Tip, by the all, all of the right wing like podcasts all advertise for FTX. And, and this FTX company gave tens of millions of dollars to Republican PACs. They gave tens of millions of dollars to Democratic PACs as organizations do. But like if you go back and look at a lot of these people's podcasts, it's like brought to you by FTX. Like they sponsored all of these Republican stuff. But Brett, let's play this clip of Marjorie Kelly Green. Break down for me what they're saying, and then I want to give you my thoughts. But let's talk about the aid to Ukraine. Here in the news, we're just finding out about the situation with FTX and the cryptocurrency. So is American people's taxpayer dollars going to fund aid in Ukraine, but yet it's really funding something else that's happening, maybe ending up in Democrat donors' pockets? Was that helping Democrat campaigns? Was that helping Democrat candidates get elected? All right, let's unwind this a little bit. Um, because I'm sure a lot of you listening to this are like, what the hell is she talking about? And what is FTX? And what is this whole thing? And I don't blame you because it's like they speak their own language sometimes. I, I truthfully, even like when the people come and like try to troll comments on Twitter and things by saying things about the demon rats and whatever, I, it's like I need, I need a Google Translate. Or MAGA. I need a Google Translate to understand what the Q hell on Morse these code, people right. are talking about. Um, but this whole thing is there was this cryptocurrency exchange that's been explained called FTX. And FTX had a lot of money. It grew quickly in popularity. They had, I believe, Super Bowl commercials where they had celebrities. It was being pumped on all of these right-wing podcasts. You know, crypto is a big part of the right-wing ecosystem. It's It's been a big part. I'm not saying only right-wing people do crypto, but it certainly has taken a foothold in this right-wing ecosystem, and they were kind of the core people selling this thing on, on their throughout their podcast networks and whatnot. Names named after FTX, I mean, it was, it, was, it was huge. Yeah, and so the company, you know, gets a lot of money from all, all these investors hoping to get rich off crypto, and it basically goes belly up. That's a kind of its own other story that we get into another time, but for the sake of this story, all you have to know is that the company they crashes their deposits, though, Brett, and they use their deposits to basically rob from Peter to pay Paul. They also had a hedge yeah. fund called Alameda, so they took people's deposits on the currency exchange to then pay for what they were doing on their hedge fund. And then when people realized they were doing that, everyone said, all right, well, give me my money back. And then they had a liquidity crisis because they couldn't give the money back because they were taking the money. And so this company went from being valued at billions and billions of dollars to being now bankrupt because of you know that. And it's a big, it's unlawful. It's a big no-no. You don't take money from deposits and steal it so you can give it. But anyway, that's the that's the underlying issue. I just wanted to say that with FTX. But go on, Brett, about yeah, what they, the that it's it's this young entrepreneur Sam Bankman Freed, I believe his name. They call him SBF as is the uh, initials that he goes by, and he he is like this young kind of tech broy figure who 
you know, in a lot of ways reminds me of a version of like an Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos woman. Um, and, and I'm sure there will be a series and a Netflix doc or whatever about this whole scenario, probably about Twitter too, because Elon is looking like that's the direction where all this is going. But those are the vibes you get, kind of big promises. And at the end of the day, it's all a fraud. It's all a Ponzi scheme. And so basically he, you know, they had a ton of money and FTX donated tens of millions of dollars to Democrats. I think uh, the the SBF dude donated something like 42 million to like a Democratic PAC. And then he also himself had given to Republicans. Then the other executive gave something like $25 million or so, a ballparking it here to Republicans. So it was going to both sides, you know, wealthy people, investment banks and stuff. I mean, they do that. They give money to PACs. That's a part of our politics. I'm not for it, but it's a part of our politics that exists. Um, where the Ukraine stuff comes in is FTX partnered with a fundraising site that was called Aid for Ukraine. Um, they basically provided the technology where people who had cryptocurrency could use their cryptocurrency, could donate that cryptocurrency to the Ukrainian humanitarian organizations. And this in between, what they would do is it would convert cryptocurrency into cash and get it to the Ukrainian humanitarian organizations. That was it. It was a way to donate to the Ukrainian humanitarian effort. Now, they're trying to spread this idea that this means Republicans were involved in investing in FTX. And this is where it kind of gets weird. And I mean, if it has gotten weird yet, this is where it gets even weirder. Because Republicans have been spreading this lie that U.S. tax dollars went to Ukraine in the form of this military and humanitarian aid. Then Ukraine partnered with FTX and invested that money heavily into FTX. Once again, did not happen. The founder of FTX then donated the money to the Democratic Party and PACs and candidates. And FTX the whole time was simply a money laundering intermediary for the Democratic Party, Zelensky, and Joe Biden. I mean, it's truly... To, to support Ukraine against Putin, that that was the whole... That, it, that it, the whole thing here was the end of it was to deal was to help Ukraine out. I mean, meanwhile, literally, if you want to have the honest conversation, it is that billions of tax dollars, this is true, was appropriated to support Ukraine because there is an existential fight for democracy and for freedom where our enemy, Vladimir Putin, the dictator of Russia, wants to conquer all of Europe and wants to destroy the United States and interferes with our elections and unlawfully invaded Ukraine. So if you want to have the honest debate and what Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to say, we shouldn't give money to Ukraine, at least she's structuring the debate on the terms that we could say, well, of course we do. We don't support Vladimir Putin. And then we can get out to the heart of what this is really about, which is what they're basically saying, though, is that... That's it. What it really is about is that they support Putin, but they want to create this whole conspiracy rather than get into the heart of what the actual issue is. Because tens of billions of dollars went to Ukraine, we support that. Americans should support that. There's an international effort to stop Putin's aggression and lawful invasion, but yet they approach it from this conspiracy angle to lie and to gaslight the American people. Yeah, I mean, they, they want you to think that Ukraine took the money given to them from the U.S. government, invested it in this FTX, 
built up Ukraine and Zelensky built up FTX personally, and then they funneled that money from FTX to Democratic candidates to win the midterms. It's just the most, like, on its face, it just doesn't even make any sense at all. But they are so confident in the story. And you have even people like Elon Musk who are pushing this story. You have right-wing investors kind of pushing this story. They're trying to absolve themselves of blame for pushing crypto, for being on the wrong side of this. And they are, frankly, doing Putin's bidding here by spreading conspiracy theories against Ukraine and against the United States' support of Ukraine. The truth is, yes, of course, the U.S. sent money to Ukraine. That's not a secret. That's we're all, it's a very transparent process. It's public. It's been voted on. The, the spending is all tracked. You could go online and see it. Ukraine never invested in FTX. They're not investors of FTX. They received humanitarian aid from people who had crypto, who wanted to donate crypto based on a platform that FTX helped facilitate. And that is the end of it. But it's just nonstop conspiracy theories. Remember, we played that clip of Charlie Kirk from the last time where he goes, I wonder uh, who is uh, the Wendy Rogers with Charlie Kirk, the uh, what is she, a state representative or whatever in Arizona, so whatever she is. She's in Arizona. Jeez. Um, but, you know, she was like, I wonder, we, we, all this time, were we living in a bubble? Were we just in a bubble, an echo? That they go back the next day to their echo chambers, spreading these same lies that the average American doesn't even know what the heck they are speaking about. It's truly like, who knows what they're talking about? I, know, love it. I love it. Good. Give them yeah. the mics. Give them the mics. Let them keep speaking because every you time know, they speak, we get another voter on our side. I mean, these people are absolutely ridiculous. And then you go to like their influencers again, like Ben Shapiro. Like, look, as we're talking about here on the podcast, like, what are the issues we talk about here? We talk about like, how can we make education accessible to people, right? How can we make sure that all Americans have health care? Like, how do we stand up for people's freedoms? Like, the freedom of a woman to have choice over her own body. How do we fight for people to be able to marry who they want to marry without the government saying, no, if you're LGBTQ+, you can't have this, or you can't have this. Like, we're talking about infrastructure here in this country. We're talking about bringing jobs here in this country. We're talking about having Americans not just have a living wage, but a wage with dignity. Like, we're talking about these issues. So these issues are not radical extremist issues. This should be on all of our minds because these are things we think about. Healthcare, education, jobs, right? Those are the things. And what are they talking about? You know, they're talking about like Ben Shapiro, right? Who would be our, this is what they're talking about. You know, like our competition, if you will. Like this is what they're talking about in their echo chamber. As Disney begins pushing Strange World for next week's release, here's the reminder that their quote, not at all secret gay agenda to target kids is ongoing. It's part of the plot of this movie, just as it was with Lightyear. Your kids, your choice. Like what? What are they? And this is this comes from the same people who brought you Mr. Potato Head and the Green Eminem and Dr. <laughs> Seuss. It, it, it is mind-boggling that there is even an audience for that. That there are people who look at that and go, "Yeah, what I'm really upset about is." That strange world, it really bugs me. It really bugs me that there's a, a gay marriage in a movie. Ugh, I, I'm so I'm so livid. Can my representatives do something about that? Anybody? Elon, 
Elon. I love when they all ask Elon too. Like that's like one of their. That is a new thing that I see now. Yeah, I've seen that in Twitter reply. Elon, Elon, can you confirm? What do you think? Tell me how to think, Daddy. It's like it's like the most ridiculous, pathetic thing. They're like, oh well, we gotta kill woke. Woke died. Yeah, we we killed woke, dude. Like care about your families. Care about people. Like have some empathy. Have some damn empathy and understand what government is for. It's not to fight your culture war battles. Government is here to actually help people. And you apparently do not give a shit about other people. So step aside and let the adults in the room do the job, if that's what you think. And stick to your weirdo message boards, stick to your 4chans, and stay the hell out of our government. It's just sick and deranged, and Americans are done with it. And they told them that we are done with it. And they're only going to get their ass kicked further and further by continuing down this path. It is absolutely ridiculous. I am so excited now to bring in our guest this evening, Democratic superstar, 27-year-old Tennessee representative Justin Jones, who will be joining us a lot in just of, a moment. But before Justin Jones uh, joins us, I do want to let everybody know, though, that if you can, we've got a Patreon. Yes. Right at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Would you consider becoming a patron of the Midas Touch Network? You know, we are not funded by any outside investors. That that right there is a pretty radical concept, <laughs> Brett and Jordy. So we are not funded by any of those millionaire or billionaire investors who fund the both sides media, who fund the pro-fascist going through the <laughs> portal. To the... We, we showed how important true independently funded media is right now where you're not beholden to those corporate interests. So that's why we have Patreon and you can become a patron. There's lots of exclusive content that you can only see on patreon.com. Now we still will have all of the great content we do for free here on YouTube. So don't worry about that, but there is exclusive Q and A's and bonus podcasts and so much more. There's even a tier where you could become an honorary producer of the Midas Touch podcast, and your name will appear at the end of the episode. You can get a poster that shows that you are an honorary producer, get postcards from us. There's exclusive merch drops on our Patreon and so much more, but most importantly, it will help grow this platform. So go check it out, patreon.com slash Midas Touch. And please, no matter where you are in the world, no worries if you can't do it. I know you subscribe to a lot of things, but I think that one is a really important one, and it will help grow this community together because more than anything this is a community and not just some network this know, podcast, at, this, at this rate you might not even have a other place to find us see is that of now tennessee representative justin jones he's 27 years old the newly elected state representative from tennessee's 52nd district and jones went from being arrested over 14 times with all charges being dropped for making good trouble, but organizing protests for racial justice and police accountability um, during a 62-day sitting outside the state capitol to now becoming the youngest lawmaker in the Tennessee state capitol. An incredible story, um, and we're excited to hear about it. Justin Jones, Representative Jones, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, brothers. It's an honor to be
So let's hear about your background. So I got to tell you, a friend of the podcast, Gloria Johnson, said, who's a representative in Tennessee, said, you got to speak with uh, Representative Jones. The story's incredible. And I looked into your background, but I want to hear it from you. Tell us how you went from being, you know, activist to running for office and all of the roadblocks that you faced, including being arrested 14 times. Yeah, well, it has definitely um, been a journey, and it's still surreal to be here, a building that I was um, arrested from, you know, many times. I was even banned here um, for a year in 2019 as part of one of the court agreements, and in 2020, they tried to file a special motion to put a GPS ankle bracelet on me so that I would be banned from Capitol grounds. So it has been a battle to get into the people's house, but I'm proud to say that I went from the jailhouse to the state house, um, and that this is the people's house of Tennessee, and so... Um, you know, I started organizing um, in Tennessee when we passed our restrictive voter laws that made it harder for college students to vote. But 10 years ago, when I was at this university, um, got involved and saw the craziness we were dealing with with this um, Republican supermajority that you know is largely based on the politi politics of white supremacy and, and violence against our communities. And so um, led a lot of the protests in 2020 as well, where I had the majority of my arrest was around you know police accountability and racial justice. Um, we had multiple demands. One was to, you know, demilitarize the Tennessee Highway Patrol to um, look at shifting funding to social services and social workers and also to remove the statue of a KKK uh, leader that we have in our state capital that had been there since 1978. And um, we got the statue down, but now we have to remove the laws it represents. Um, we are the birthplace of the Klan. We are um, a state where a lot of these conservative folks like um, Candace Owings and Tommy Lauren and all these other folks are moving here. So we have to be alert. And this is really the front lines of the battle. And so um, I got tired of begging these politicians to change. Got tired of getting locked out. And so I said, it's time to change who's in those seats. I ran. Um, I'm the first, I'm the youngest lawmaker currently serving. I'm also the first black lawmaker in my district, uh, District 52, which is the most diverse district in Tennessee. So well, that's a, a okay background. Synopsis. So I want to show all of our viewers and listeners the video uh, of you heading into the Capitol for the first time, a place where you were arrested in front of. And then after I play the video, I want to get your reaction. And if you could just tell us, like, what was going through your mind as you made that uh, journey. So let's play the clip. Heading to the Capitol, uh, first day, midnight last night, it was official. Representative elect for District 52. A little bit nervous. It kind of doesn't feel completely real yet. It's a familiar place. It's a people's house. And so we should be welcome there. Equally elected representative for 70,000 constituents. Ten years ago, when I first came to the Capitol as an undergraduate student fighting for voting rights, and, and where we are now, you know, how much has changed and how much has stayed the same. I mean, I never imagined this. I don't think a lot of people imagined this. Two years ago, I was banned. I was arrested from this building. They tried to file a motion to put a GPS ankle bracelet on me to keep me from Capitol grounds. And yet, the people have spoken, and they want strong fighters and bold voices for our district. This is the People's House, the plaza where we were arrested. I was arrested in 2020 14 times. Standing on that plaza, sleeping on that plaza. We're on the plaza because we couldn't get in the building. Starting today, once I go to HR, I'll have a key and an ID. So this time we go in, the troopers won't be bringing me to jail, but hopefully we'll be showing me where to park and how to get to my, you know, my new office, the People's Office, District 52, <laughs> finding the arc, bending toward justice in Tennessee. So here we go. So if you can tell us, well, tell us. What was going through your mind? It was just, I mean, in, 
until I walked in and got, you know, we get these security things, get our badges. I don't know where I put my badge. You know, we're official now. Yeah. And so, you know, the same troopers who arrested me had to show me, you know, that same uh-huh. agent had to show me where to park. And so, you know, say, Representative, this is your parking place. And it feels surreal. I, mean, I see colleagues, I see representatives who have shut the door in my face, who now are my colleagues. I see um, spaces of power that people like me are not supposed to be in, where, um, they can't keep us out anymore. And, and, and I, you know, the important thing too that I keep emphasizing is that, you know, this is, is this is for the people. Like, I think that's really what I'm trying to do with my election is demystify the process, put transparency in here. That's why that video, we wanted to show people like this is what the process is. Cause most of us, I mean, I didn't realize it happens the next day after you get elected in Tennessee, our state law, you become the representative the next day um, at midnight actually. And so, I mean, a lot of us didn't know that. And so the process we go through, um, you know, I'm grateful for the Tennessee Hall for covering that um, experience that was very surreal, that's still surreal. You know, I brought a large picture of, of people who inspire me, of John Lewis, who was also a young person who got arrested in Nashville right here outside the state capitol, desegregating lunch counters, and then went to Congress. And so I think, you know, we have a history here in Nashville of young people getting in good trouble, getting in the way, and disrupting systems of injustice. And so um, I'm hopeful. And I'm still, you know, you know, I've been here trying to prepare drafting bills, learning about the process, but also um, I think it's just, it is our presence being in this building that is really a threat to the systems that want to, that fear multiracial democracy, that fear, fear multi-generational democracy. Like our presence here um, is a threat. And, you know, me and Sister Gloria Johnson, we are the Good Trouble Caucus. Um, Gloria was, you know, one of the homies who stood with us in our protest, one of the few lawmakers who came out with us. And, you know, that's what I hope to be, is to be a representative of the people. Um, one colleague told me already, um, you either can be an activist or a legislator. Um, I'm going to be both because activism is about activating people. It's about um, organizing people and it's about shining light on issues. And so I don't believe we have to make a choice. Um, and particularly not in a state where people are trying to take us backwards in 1950s. So we got to be active. Well, because the opposition's active taking away people's rights and taking away people's freedoms and they're activists of hate, you know, and so, you know, the person who gave you that advice, you know, the, 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 what, what the right-wing extremists in Tennessee were fighting you for before you yeah. ran for office were things like, well, what were you fighting for? Expansion of Medicaid in okay, Tennessee, yeah. right? Repealing a restrictive state voter ID law, um, uh, confronting systemic racism in policing, um, challenging a dangerous bill that would seek to limit the First Amendment rights of nonviolent protest. I mean, you have the right wing there taking away freedoms, and you're fighting for restoring freedoms to all people of Tennessee. That's how I view the issue. That is a good point, Ben, because, I mean, it's interesting that for me, you know, they try and portray me as an extremism, but we had insurrectionists serving in the legislature like Terry Lynn Weaver. We have people who prayed over the bus that went to D.C. to commit the insurrection who served in the Senate. We have people who, um, you know, defended the statue of the KKK, and we have the first bill being filed this session already is a bill to make it a um, drag shows uh, a criminalized. Like, that is what their priorities are. I mean, this is insanity, um, and it is... It is something that we have to stand against. And so I think that was exactly right, Ben, is that, you know, I'm proud of my record. Um, I think that's a good bill you brought up because that actually was a turning point for me, too, was um, last year they didn't only try to criminalize protests, but they tried to make a law to make it legal to run over protesters. And that, for me, was this aha moment. Like, these people really are, you know, legislating violence against people like me. And so we have to stand, you know, stand up in here and, and be a voice of truth. We were able to kill that bill by speaking before the committee. But the fact that they, that was even considered 
made me feel like we need to remove some of these folks. But this is not a, the Bellmead Country Club, which is one of our Republican country clubs. This is not, a, you know, a palace, but this is the people's house. And we're going to take our power back. That's what seems to happen whenever Republicans get a majority, or especially in the case of Tennessee, uh, a supermajority, where you, you would think, oh, now I have this power, I could use it to do good, but they just seem to use it to double down and triple down on their extremism. I mean, let's talk about the example that you just put forth. I mean, there are obviously a ton of issues on people's minds right now, from inflation to social security to racial justice to abortion. Yet the first bill this GOP supermajority put forward after the election was, like you said, to make drag shows a felony. That was their priority. I mean, what does that tell you right there about the Tennessee GOP? They are out of touch. I mean, I spent from the spring to the summer, I was canvassing, knocking on doors, talking to people across, not just in my district, but you know, when I went to Knoxville to canvass as well, no one brought this up as an issue. But for them, because of some type of fragile masculinity or whatever they're dealing with, um, you know, projection, um, this was a priority for them to file right after, you know, the morning after the election. I, and I, I'm very concerned that if this is what they go to sleep thinking about and fearing, um, that the people in their districts that have no representation, because statewide, we have hundreds of thousands of people who don't have health care. We have the, uh, the highest number of low-wage workers in Tennessee. Tennessee is one of the most um, unequal states economically when we look at our tax system. We tax groceries, um, but we have, you know, we don't tax corporations. And so, we, you know, this is the issue that we're dealing with. And so I, my, my, my message to them is that we need to go to their district and really shame these harmful, you know, policy agenda that is not about the people, but that's about, you know, hate, and that's about creating this type of a southern aristocracy is what I would call it. They're trying to, you know, they're, they're, they're doing this, this politics that it serves the interests of a very few, by dividing conquer, by keeping us afraid of each other, by trying to keep us in silos. But like I told one of the, my constituents who called me last night, who was a drag store, uh, star performer, who called me saying that this is going to put them in danger and make them afraid to be in their own skin, is that if they come for one of us, they come for all of us, whether it's racial justice, whether, whether it's our LGBT community, whether it is women, we're going to stand together because they've been, you know, they're, they're united in their hate, and we got to be united in our in our fight for justice. And, and while you're talking about justice and are speaking about the issues, like everything I see coming from the, the Tennessee Republicans, that uh, well, I think it's a microcosm of Republicans at large, is just this extreme corruption that we're that we're seeing throughout. I mean, the, the Tennessee House representative who was the House Speaker there, Glenn Cassida, who sought vengeance on you and tried to revoke your bail, he, he had decided not to run this year. Uh, after he and his chief of staff were basically caught sending each other sexist and racist text messages in his home, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on any of these facts, or his home and office were raided by the FBI, he was indicted for a role in an illegal kickback scheme, is you making it to the state house karma? And uh, what, what, what's your take on all that? <laughs> it is very interesting that for so long you have these Republicans. I mean, that is a wild story. Uh, people who are not in Tennessee, for us this is normal. <laughs> This is a Tuesday, but no, this is this is the reality of what we're dealing with. And so we had a House speaker who engaged in criminal acts, who was racist, and usually racists are also corrupt, so, you know, it goes hand in hand, and, and he was caught for his corruption and, and charged with wire fraud and a vast, you know, majority of other crimes. Um, I told him I forgive him, um, you know, like, because I, you know, I... I that's his journey now, but I think that it's emblematic emblematic of a larger issue because we got rid of Speaker Casta. He resigned, he was ousted, but we still have this extreme party. Our speaker now is just as extreme, but he's more sophisticated, more subtle in it. And so um, I, I'm trying, you know, I look at these things systemically, 
but but more than that, I think that you know what we have to show is that they for so long, particularly in 2020, they tried to portray us as lawbreakers and as criminals. We had Speaker Cassida arrested. He had to resign from speakership because of crimes. You had Representative Robin Smith from Chattanooga, one of his co-conspirators who had to resign was you know FBI. You had David Byrd who admitted to being a child molester. You had Terry Lynn Weaver, representative who lost her election, thankfully, who was at the insurrection. You had um, Senate, State Senator Brian Kelsey, more financial crimes with his campaign. And so these Republicans want to call us criminal, but let's let's look at the receipts. That's all I can say. The, pro the projection is just off the charts. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's absolutely wild. But in the midst of those extremists who have a supermajority, unfortunately, there are Democratic stars like yourself, like Gloria Johnson, who we spoke about before, who's a friend of the show. So how do you, and your fellow Democrat there, how do you govern as a minority party there in Tennessee against that sort of opposition? Mm. This was a really um, interesting issue that came up during my campaign because, my, you know, we had people saying, oh, Justin won't be able to get along with Republicans. We need someone who can get along with them to you know, play the game. But what I told my district, and I was very honest, is that we are a super minority. Our job is to be a speed bump, you know, to, to, to be a mosquito, to, to, to oppose them. I love watching videos of the House of Commons where we have the opposition government really being a check on power. That is what we need to be here. And, and, and I know so many, you know, particularly here, there's this, this type of Stockholm syndrome where people are afraid to speak up, you know, and, and, and be um, getting good trouble, as John Lewis called it. But that is what we have to do where we have nothing to lose. We have now 24 Democrats in the state House of Representatives out of 99. We are a super minority, and they remind us of that every day. And so our job is to um, disrupt harmful bills, is to us uh, to organize our district, is to open the doors, to stand with the people, whether it's labor unions, whether it's women's rights groups, we need to be with them and, and make sure that we can use these pins, whatever they give us, to, to give them access, let them know that they are welcome in the people's house, and that we'll sit in these committees and let them speak and be their voice as well, and speak with and um, with them, you know, to try and make it so that what's happening is not happening in, in secrecy or in darkness. Um, I was in a meeting yesterday, uh, two days ago, with the Black Caucus, and um, the governor's finance and administration um, commissioner was there and talking about the governor's priorities during budget being public safety and more police. And I had to speak up and say that, you know, that we learned nothing from 2020, that we're the most incarcerated, the most jailed nation, the most police nation in the world, but we're not any safer. Let's put money and funding towards social workers. Let's put money toward mental health and education. Police come after crime happens. If we want to prevent crime. Let's look at the, the, the social issues and have a comprehensive solution. And um, that's what we have to do is we have to lift up these issues um, where traditionally they haven't been lifted up. Also, I'm very interested in environmental issues. You know, I had somebody tell me that here, no one has really talked about that. But being, one, being the only person in this body in my 20s, I know we're going to have to deal with the climate crisis that is already here. And so we have to take this seriously and have colleagues who are saying that's not a, you know, real, it's snowing outside. Um, but their grandchildren are going to be dealing with the effects of this issue. And, and Tennessee needs to take it seriously. Unbelievable. I, I, I've heard you now bring up uh, the late, great John Lewis a few times here, uh, an absolute legend, powerhouse. What is his, and you actually have brought you his poster into the office with you, which I think is, is pretty cool. So when you look at that poster as you come into your office every day now, what does that image, what does his legacy mean to you? And how do you, I guess, plan to go from here now and cause even more good trouble? I have the honor of working in D.C. in 2016 when John Lewis led the sit-in on the floor of Congress. And that, for me, was a defining moment that, you know, even in this position that we can still um, be genuine and, and authentic to the values of, to which we are, you know, which led us to these to these seats. And so 
when I look at John Lewis, I think about this poster, which actually I say from 2020, we had a vigil after he passed. And I remember I found out that he passed away while sitting outside of Nashville jail, waiting for some of my, my friends to get out um, from the protests of 2020. And, and it, it hit me because he is um, somebody who I, I admire. I also went to the same university, Fisk University. And I remember when I went to DC, I was an interning from him, but I stopped at his office one afternoon and I waited a few you know, minutes and his, his assistant said, you know, he'll have a, a moment, just a quick moment to talk to you. But I, when he came out and I told him I was at Fisk, he spent over 30 minutes going around to every picture in his office saying, so you know, C.C. Cool. Vivian, you know, um, you know, here's James Lawson. And just talking about that legacy and the fact that he poured that into me. And then he said, you know, you really appreciate this. And he went into his, his desk and, and took out his arrest, his frame arrest certificate from Nashville. And I'm like, that is oh, the type man. of politics, that is the type of public servant that, you know, we need. And that's somebody who, um, it just breaks my heart, but I know that his spirit is with us. Um, that is emotional because it is a full circle. And my office right now where I'm located is actually on John Lewis Boulevard. You know, this, the, cap, the state capitol's offices are on John Lewis um, Way, excuse me, John Lewis Way. And I think that is not just a symbol. I think that's a call to action. Um, that is a reminder that we have to get in good trouble. And that when, when people come to my office, you know, come to John Lewis Way and see, you know, where we are located at the intersection of John Lewis Way and MLK Boulevard, ironically, the state capitol again. Um, these are reminders that we have to continue the movement. And the civil rights movement is not history, even though they're trying to ban that, but it's a continued struggle that we have to engage in um, that's evolving. You know, but when we look at, again, climate justice as a part of racial justice and civil rights, um, we know who's impacted. Representative Jones, that's the one thing I, I really do want to ask you as well. You know, there's a lot of mainstream coverage on, on a lot of different topics around, the, you know, what's happening in the U.S., but it feels like climate change is something specific that, that you're taking a stand for. Are there other issues that are specific to your district too that the mainstream media you feel like is ignoring that you want to talk about? Mm, thank you, Jordy. Um, <laughs> there's so many issues. I mean, my district, and it's unique even in Tennessee, where again, it's the most diverse district. We have over 62 languages spoken in my district. And so in Tennessee, you know, look, we have a large refugee um, population and people who um, they said, you know, politicians don't come to us because we don't vote, you know, but we still have, we still are impacted by the laws. And so, I, you know, I just hope that um, we look at how legislation is impacting those who even are undocumented, those who are refugees and those who don't have the right to vote. Um, but also more than that, I think Um, I'm concerned about really um, now is how um, oftentimes media um, normalizes um, white supremacist violence um, here as like it's normal. Like no one, that speech that was given a few nights ago by that crazy man should not have get, been given that type of traction. And we see that a lot in Tennessee where we hear um, extremists given the same platform where they try and parallel us. Like 
for my, they try and put me as an extreme and put these, the KKK as the other extreme. I'm like, we're talking about giving people health care. We're talking about giving people voting rights. They're talking about, uh, you know, killing folks. How are we, they're like, well, you need, we need to go to the middle. That's not, that's not what we need to do is we need to like, don't, don't equivocate us, you know, don't make. And so I think that's the concern that I have, um, is that they call us extremists, but we have to be clear, even in media, about who is extreme. There's one party who's trying to, you know, not even a party, but there's a group, a, you know, an elite group of people. Here, it's these, these, these um, wealthy white men, predominantly from Williamson County, who are trying to hold on to power. It's the richest county in Tennessee. And, the, and everybody else is hurt. Like, I really believe that the South, I'm here in Tennessee, I believe that the only thing I will save us is a multiracial movement, that we have to get outside of places like Nashville, but we have to go to rural counties, go to Grundy County, which is the poorest county in Tennessee, go to Giles County, where the Klan was founded, because their hospitals are closing these rural counties. They're being impacted by these low wages, and their representatives are out here talking about drag shows. We need to shame them and show that we have the same issues in my district that you have in your rural districts, but you've made these, these wedge issues, these, these type of sensational, crazy, non-issues um, that have nothing to do with the people. Facts, facts, facts. <laughs> Representative Jones, I want to ask you about this too. Now switching gears back to the election. Now one of the things like I, I just truly respect about you as a person is just how how genuine you are. You know, I, it, it's really incredible to see this sort of. You know, I think it's a word that gets overused, but it's, in this case, it's true. This authenticity in politics these days, and I think that's super refreshing. Do you think that's one of the things that are uh, registered for the voters in your district? I, I appreciate that, brother. That's kind. <laughs> um, I think so. I mean, you know, I I accepted and I claimed my arrest because, you know, they said they're going to use that against you. I said, you know, before they put out my mugshot, let me go ahead and put out my mugshot because I'm not ashamed of, of my arrest. In fact, I'm smiling at my mugshot because I know I'm on the right side of history. So, I mean, like, let's, you know, I'm going to show my grandchildren, like, yes, I got arrested because we're fighting for you. You know, like, I'm not ashamed of that. And, like, you know, they try to make that a shameful thing. Oh, he's an extremist. Oh, he's this black identity extremist. No, I'm, I mean, like I told this, I told, you know, these representatives, I told the troopers, we're fighting for your children, too. You just don't know. You go ahead and bring us to jail, but we're fighting for everyone's future in the state. And so, you know, I think, you know, my, my district, people, you know. want authenticity and, and that's one thing that you know I hope to continue to embody is that um here they, they try and create this mystique of power like you know we are above we are beyond everything is so secretive I'm like no this is let's open the door those people let them see what you know what we're doing and that half these members don't read the bills you know they don't even know what they're talking about so we have to be authentic and we have to be real um so that people realize that these forces that we're also against are not um undefeatable that you know that what we're up against that these they try and make themselves beyond human like oh the speaker of the house is honor you know we got about
No, we don't. Like, we, we, they are people, we are people, we are equals. And as I had to tell one representative a few days ago, because I still have to kind of correct folks and be authentic with folks, uh, I'm not your intern up here. I, I'm your colleague. And so, like, you know, so some of these people act like I'm their intern. Um, it's been interesting to engage with them where, you know, they love to call everybody else representative and here comes Justin or our buddy. I'm like, no, we're equals here. You're not going to be little me, you know, in the mm -hmm. people's house because we, we have the same vote in this house. And um, I think that's been the biggest challenge is here is how do you maintain authenticity um, in a place that is meant to destroy our spirit and destroy our joy and destroy our wholeness. Um, this is a place where they want us to be broken. And I think the way we do that is by solidarity. You know, me and Sister Gloria Representative Gloria Johnson, um, the Good Trouble Caucus, like that is my homie and we've stood together and, you know, we're going to stand together because um, what they like to do is isolate people and divide you and keep you separated and feel like you have no one. But like if we stand not just with the people in this building, but say, I stand with the people in my district, like come up to the hill. Like, you know, we're going to be bringing young people for a day on the hill, which has never happened in Tennessee to, to bring college students and high school students from around mm -hmm. Tennessee to come to the hill and say, we're having a day on the hill to talk about the future. Like these, we have to look at the long-term implications of these bills, how it's impacting young people. The, the average age in the legislature is like 75, 80. We need new voices. Um, we're going to be dealing with the long-term implications of these policy decisions. So, And that's where I want to go now is I just want to remind our audience, Representative Jones is 27 years old and he's wise beyond his years over here. I mean, this election was the election of your generation. You know, we saw not only record turnout from Gen Z, but Gen Z activists like you and Maxwell Frost in Florida you know, making their way into government. What do you think, you know, the long-term impact will be of Gen Z voices actually having a seat at the table? And then secondly, how can Democrats deliver for Gen Z and ensure they continue to show up? Definitely. I think it scared the hell out of a lot of folks. And so, like, I think the one thing I fear is that they're going to try to make it harder for young people to vote. So I'm, I'm like, anticipate, like, are we going to have new, we already have this voter ID law where we can't use college IDs to vote anymore. I'm like, they're taking polling places off college campuses. They're scared. And so we have to be mobilized. And I think, you know, us, our generation stepping into our power is going to have a transformative effect if our votes are not depressed, if we're not, you know, if they don't create all these barriers and we can continue to participate. Um, Nashville has over 15 colleges and universities. I mean, we young people can control this city if we wanted to, and, and I hope we do, because that's the only way forward is that, you know, we offer a new perspective. We offer a perspective when they're looking at things like banning critical race theory, what they call critical race theory in colleges. Like, we should, we should have people who, have, who are, you know, in school, who recently been in school to talk about, like, this is crazy. We don't even, you know, do you even know what we're learning? Do you even know what critical race theory is when they're talking about we don't want, um, to forgive student loan debt. Well, back in maybe the 1960s, you didn't leave school with hundreds of thousands of debt. But today, if we look at how much college costs, we are. And so, like, I think we need we we offer a perspective, and also I think we offer this intersectional lens. But most importantly, I think that what young people are bringing to the table is urgency. Um, this politics of gradualism, this politics of oh, you know, you, you don't you have to understand that it's a slow process. You you have to understand how it works. The hell with that. We need to. These issues that we're facing, the crisis in our environment, the crisis in our economy, the crisis of white supremacy, January 6th, I mean, that was, a, you know, we should, this is a crisis. And so um, the crisis of police brutality, they require urgent responses. And I think that's what young people bring is this urgency and this moral clarity to say that there is such a thing as, as what is just and what is unjust, that there is such a thing as. that 
that that is an issue that you know we cannot have both sides in a quick case say let's you know like you have one group of people trying to overturn democracy you have another group saying let's let people vote let's let, let's make it easier for people to vote right you've got to be clear that there is such a thing as, as what is wrong what is not what is not you know so yeah representative justin jones thank you so much for joining us on the midas touch podcast we appreciate you congratulations on your victory and uh, we look forward to following all the great work you're going to be doing in the tennessee capital and uh, in your incredible career to come thank you it is it has just been great to be with you all you all have such a good energy so hopefully we can host you in person in tennessee soon yes, come on, come on down. <laughs> we, we would love that so inspiring um i mean gen z is going to take over whether he's gen z or millennial gen z is taking over <laughs> um but he he's absolutely crushing it i mean from uh you know what did he say from the jailhouse to the state house what an inspiring story right. somebody who is really you know truly doesn't just talk the talk but walks the walk and is getting out there and is really living up to the legacy of, of the great late john lewis just really really awesome to see really really inspiring we, i'll give a quick update right now what do you think should we give a quick update on colorado's third with Lauren Bogan and Adler Rich. So I'm seeing a little bit, a few conflicting reports depending on where the votes are counted. But one thing is for certain this thing, everybody, this race is heading to a recount. Uh, you know, let's not get our hopes up here. Lauren Bobert, of course, has the advantage, uh, her being in the lead, but her lead has just dwindled so much. And uh, basically, when we were doing this show live, her lead was virtually cut in half. I'm seeing a, a bit of conflicting reports. When I did the math myself, I looked like she was just 551 votes ahead. I'm seeing some people say 557. I'm seeing some people say 543. Either way, roughly 550 votes ahead. Lauren Bober, her lead, just slashed in half with the new ballot dropped, with the new ballot counted. And hey, I think this shows us, you know, when we say every vote counts, every vote truly counts here. Um, but we should be incredibly proud of I mean, uh, the fight that we put up here, regardless of the ultimate outcome. I mean, Adam Frisch defied all odds here um, to take on Obert, and uh, we will see what happens, and we will definitely keep you up to date. We got some more to talk about. I know Ben wants to break down some quick hits on the news, but first, I want to tell you all about a little company, a little sponsor of this show called Aspiration. I just really, really... I'm loving Aspiration because it fits in with the ethos of our show so much. When it comes to climate action, your money is power. They mean that literally, people. With Aspiration, a new kind of change is in your pocket. Simply by moving your money to Aspiration, you're giving your deposits a cleaner, greener home. Aspiration is a climate-friendly alternative for your money. You get an account and debit card that's built to help your wallet and the planet. Aspiration helps you plant a tree by rounding up every swipe of your debit card. Genius right there off the bat. Aspiration's been hard at work helping people align their money with their values, funding the planting of over 100 million trees on their way to funding the planting of 1 billion, that's with a B, everybody, wow. by 2030. It's no wonder why Forbes, NerdWallet, and the Penny Hoarder recommend Aspiration for the eco-conscious. Best of all, there's no credit check, no overdraft fees, and with Aspiration, you just pay what you think is fair, even if that's zero, because money should not stand in the way of you doing the right thing. So, take 
$10 make a difference. Open an Aspiration account at aspiration.com slash tree. You heard that right, aspiration.com slash tree. Help save the planet with your Aspiration debit card. Open your account at aspiration.com slash tree today. That's aspiration.com slash tree. Terms and conditions may apply. Aspiration is not a bank deposits or FDIC insured. Up to $2 million per deposit for Ben Wells. We've got some legal updates, some January 6th committee updates. The January 6th committee yesterday hit back hard on former Vice President Pence, who is doing this media tour to promote his book that nobody is going to buy, but will probably have some tax bias so they could inflate the numbers. Just some of the weirdest appearances by Pence. He did this weird CNN town hall and spoke with a bunch of networks where he would just say things like, I look deep down into my heart, and first and foremost, I'm a Christian. Second, I'm a conservative. Third, I am a Republican. And despite the fact that Donald Trump tried to kill me, I would vote for him again. I've thought long and hard about it with my family. I've prayed on it, and I've decided that I will be supporting him and any Republican and the election deniers. I mean, I'm slightly exaggerating, but that's basically what he said. And the January 6th committee said, one, like, what are you talking about? And two, like Pence would like attack the January 6th committee. Meanwhile, the January 6th committee pretty much were just talking to like Pence advisors, like Pence's former chief of staff, Mark Short, and Pence's former general counsel, Greg Jacobs, and you know, everyone in the Trump administration, from Trump's lawyers, Pat Cipollone to Patrick Feldman, like all of the witnesses were Republicans. And the fact that Pence is saying, close the door, I will not talk to the January 6th committee because I am deeply concerned that it is a partisan witch hunt against the person who tried to kill me. I mean, it, it is literally, I mean, it's just, is there any more delusional than this man? Is there anyone more delusional than this? Like, this man really thinks that he has a chance in hell of being president, of being the nominee? Like, are you kidding me? Who are you? Who are you? I, I think I saw something that says, does the book come with a spine, or is it spineless just like Pence? And like, how do you not like, I think voters, I think what the midterm showed, by and large, like, don't you want people who are just normal, like pro-normal, and would go, yeah, he tried to kill me. He tried to overthrow our democracy. You know, you know, Trump. Like, I am pissed off. I am livid at that. Our democratic institutions here are small d democracy. Institutions are critical. And Pence like,
and what materials to share with the Justice Department, according to Chair Betty Thompson and other members. I expect that they're going to uh, recommend a criminal referral of Donald Trump and others in Trump's inner circle. I don't know what you think, Referee, but I'm pretty confident that that's what I'd they're say going yes. To. They're also going to, I think, find him in. It will be interesting to see if they also, before the term of this Congress ends, propose a bill regarding the 14th Amendment, Section 3, to disqualify Trump. I will be one, you know, it just needs a majority in both houses, so I'm wondering if they... Uh, ...go there, but we will see there. Um, other additional legal updates, uh, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which set an expedited uh, appeal schedule from the Department of Justice appeal of uh, Judge Eileen Cannon, the Trump appointee who improperly asserted equitable jurisdiction over the Trump theft of thousands of government records, including top secret records. Like, she never should have asserted equitable jurisdiction in the first place. It's one of the rarest things that a judge can assert, only like in the most egregious conduct of government overreach. And that was not even found here. But when she analyzed it, she said there was no callous disregard for the rights of Trump. Yet she found that Trump's reputation could be irreparably harmed. And as a result of that finding, she then found this process where she appointed the special master. Um, she was eventually overturned regarding the 100 classified records, and those records were returned to the Department of Justice. So it's the same analysis that the Justice Department previously won on when they got those 100 classified records returned to them. So I suspect the Department of Justice is going to win. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals set oral argument for November 22nd. The final reply brief was submitted today by the Department of Justice. And the Department of Justice is like, look, so Trump's totally just changed his argument now. So first he argued that he was asserting executive privilege, even though he's not the president. And now he's moved to that these are all personal records that he stole because when he packed them into luggage to steal them and brought them to Mar-a-Lago, that is a way that he converted uh, presidential records into personal records by packing it and stealing it. And the Department of Justice is like, that absolutely makes no sense. But even if it didn't make any sense, um, or if it, even if it did make sense, the fact that he's now saying they're personal records and that there's no Privilege. His whole point to this 
whole process of equitable jurisdiction was this claim of executive privilege. Saying they're now just personal records, there literally was no point to any of this because we're engaged in a criminal investigation of him. So he literally just defeated any of these frivolous arguments that he already had. I'm speaking about frivolous. lawsuit that Donald Trump filed against the New York Attorney General was removed to federal court, and guess what judge it was just sent to? Judge Donald Middlebrooks, the same judge who sanctioned Alina Haba $50,000. We're putting it up here for the YouTube viewers that the case was assigned to Middlebrooks. And Middlebrooks, in an impassioned sanction order, basically said that every single allegation in that lawsuit that was brought by Haba that the judge dismissed was frivolous every single one and brought for an improper purpose. So this is the last judge that Trump would want that lawsuit uh, against uh, Letitia James, which has no basis at all. Like, he tried to sue her in Florida state court, arguing what that appointing an independent monitor over the Trump organization was improper. I really don't even know what his lawsuit's about. Like when you read it, it's just like Trump, great businessman, Letitia James, bad person. And then you go down to like paragraph 119 and Trump's like, therefore, 